And now for something completely different. This is the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Let's do it. Welcome to the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. With it till three on this Monday as we kickstart another week with plenty to get to over the next few hours. Coming up, the Warriors, even the NBA Finals with Game 5 coming up tonight. Plus, the Hornets have their new coach and all the teams hiring this offseason have something in common. Paul Feinbaum continues to go after Clemson. We'll get to that coming up. And a whole lot going on. We got a Stanley Cup matchup. We got upsets in the College Baseball World Series. We have more bad news for Deshaun Watson. And with everything going on over the weekend, we also have a movie to review, and we'll do that later on. The latest sports movie, Hustle, Adam Sandler's basketball film. We'll break that down throughout the afternoon. I took more notes during those basketball scenes than Game 4 of the NBA Finals. And we'll talk about some movies and Major League Baseball as Adnan Burke scheduled to join us an hour from now from MLB Network. The Atlanta Braves push their winning streak to double digits and beyond. Longest winning streak in over a decade as they get back to playing good baseball. We'll talk about it all and more over the next few hours with you till 3 on this Monday. You can join the conversation throughout the afternoon, 843-721-9500 to give us a call. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734. Get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays, on Facebook at ESPN Radio Charleston, via email, studio at kirkmanbroadcasting.com, or online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Head over there and click on our show page where you can leave a comment for the show. You can find the latest versions of the show podcasted right there, or you can even take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Just simply stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com. With you till 3, Trent's on the steel wheels. Trent, what's going on? How are you? Luke, I am doing absolutely phenomenal. Beautiful weekend here in the low country. What a great game four we had on Friday. Played some golf yesterday. Didn't go the way I wanted it to, but it was still nice to be out fun in the sun. It's beautiful out, Luke. I'm doing well on this Monday. Glad to be here with you, sir, getting ready for game five. Did you play yesterday? I did play yesterday, Ooh. yeah. It was a hot day out there. It was incredibly hot, and uh, I decided to wear pants because I oh. didn't. I didn't have the correct shorts, and you know I don't like looking like a scrub out there on the course. You know I like to look presentable, and I was wearing pants, and uh, yeah, I sweat through everything I was wearing. There's no doubt about it. Did you go? What time did you get get out there? We we teed off at 5 p.m. So oh, okay. like it was it was kind of going down, yeah. but there was zero shade out at the lovely golf course that being Stono Ferry. It was no shade whatsoever. I was very hot. 
Well, obviously, we have uh, some new openings have opened up on the PGA Tour. Yes. We got a new tour now, the Live Golf Tour, so we're, we're working on it. Trent's working to get there. Tomorrow Midday Show, I'll have a just, you'll be my only sponsor right. out of these Live Golf events. Yeah. It'll be great. I'll come be your caddy. I'll be like the guy in uh, Happy Gilmore. There we go. The home, like the homeless guy that he picks up. That'll be me out there. Hey, let me start with this. We had game four of the NBA Finals, and what a game it was. Best game of the finals, one of the best game of the postseason. Now, it was Friday night, so it may be hard to think back to, and we already get ready for Game 5 coming up tonight. But we have to spend a few moments talking about how good Steph Curry was. That was the defining moment, or a defining moment, for Steph Curry in his career and in these NBA Finals. Now, the narrative going in has kind of been that Curry still needs to prove himself a little bit. Has never won a Finals MVP. Had Kevin Durant with him when he won the majority of his Finals. And I think... Regardless of what happens the rest of this series, when you saw what, what you did Friday night, I think that was enough to prove the point that Steph Curry is one of the all-time greats, can win and play just fine on his own in the big spots, and could put a team on his back. He went for 43 on the road with the team trailing in the series. For all intents and purposes, that was the biggest game of the year. That was the season on the line. If they lose that one, they fall down 3-1. And it's less realistic that the Warriors have a chance to come back. When you win game four, as they did Friday, now you head home, tied at two. Suddenly the Warriors are favored once again in this series in the eyes of Vegas. They were a pretty big underdog going into game four. And we talked about it here on the show on Friday, that when the Warriors would win tonight, meaning game four, as they did, everybody's going to flip-flop. Everybody thought this series was already over. The Celtics had it in the bag. Now Golden State wins game four. And they head back to Golden State in what becomes a three-game series, and the Warriors will be home for two of the three. It's no surprise now that the Warriors are favored. We'll get to Game 5 in just a moment. But first, on Game 4 with Steph Curry. On the road, essentially, series on the line. A little bit of a banged-up ankle from the game prior. Trailing at halftime. Not getting much help from his supporting cast throughout the series. And Curry went out there and was magnificent. 43 points. Seven three-pointers, even had ten rebounds. Hit huge shots in the fourth quarter. He was great. And if you still have to question Steph Curry, can he get it done on his own? Can he play big in the big spots? Can he put his team on the back? Can they win a game in the end of the fourth quarter? He answered all those questions Friday night. Now, when you go back and you look at Curry's finals, his NBA finals over his career, right? In 2015, he was second on the team in scoring. And in 2016, he was third on the team in scoring in the NBA Finals, that is. Right? 2017, he was fourth in scoring in the series. 2018, uh, third in scoring. But you look at his last two NBA Finals. 2019, when they lost to the Raptors, and everybody got hurt, and the Warriors had not much left. Curry led all scorers with 31 points in that series. Now, they did lose in six games because, again, right, Durant, Clay Thompson, they get hurt. They had nothing to compete with Toronto. But he averaged... 31 points leading all scores. And so far this year, in this NBA Finals, he's averaging 34 points leading all scores. Next closest is Jalen Brown averaging 22. Next closest on Curry's team is averaging half of what he is. He's scoring twice as many points as anybody else on his own team. This has been a dominant run. And regardless of what the Warriors do the rest of the way, even if they lose the next two games, assuming Curry doesn't completely disappear and score 10 points tonight, we've seen enough to acknowledge, yeah, Curry is an all-time great, is an incredible shooter. 
doesn't need a Kevin Durant to be successful individually and can play big in the big spots. He was phenomenal on Friday night. I don't think in a world where we're very hyperbolic, it is too hyperbolic to say that was one of the better performances we've seen in the NBA Finals over the years. In fact, it was the third most points scored in an NBA Finals win since MJ retired almost 25 years ago. Curry joins one of about 15 players to score over 42 points in a Finals game all time. And when you go back and you look specifically, try to find a situation like that. A team on the road in Game 4 beyond of the NBA Finals and their star goes for over 40 points in a win, there's not many who have done that who have gone for over 40 on the road in an NBA Finals game in the second half of the series, when the games become even more crucial and important. Curry was fantastic on Friday night. He's shooting almost 50% from beyond the arc in this series. He's averaging 35 points a game in this series. And he also got some help Friday night as well, from Clay Thompson hitting down some big threes, Jordan Poole had a couple of good shots, and Andrew Wiggins was fantastic, and that helped as well. We are all over it on the show Friday. Told you the Warriors would win. Saying they need more help than that supporting cast. Draymond Green should be benched. He was at the end of the fourth quarter. Steve Kerr made some good adjustments. Other guys stepped up. The Warriors played well, and they evened the series, led by Steph Curry, who was fantastic. Here is J.J. Redick this morning talking about that game Friday night, and if this is a defining moment for Curry, his legacy, and his career here moving forward. I absolutely think so. And, and when you look at the context of this, the Warriors essentially being out of this stage for two years him not winning a finals MVP yet, and clearly being the best player in this series. And then the context of going against this Celtics defense, which as we know was the number one defense in the league this season, and looked so stout through three rounds of the playoffs so far. And what he's done against the, this defense is nothing short of remarkable. And I just want to comment on that Clay Thompson quote, which I love. And what Clay t is talking about there is competitive stamina. And to me, that's what separates the greats from the all-time greats. And Steph has competitive stamina in spades. J.J. Redick this morning talking about Steph Curry and that performance from Friday night, which really was remarkable. He was fantastic. He got a little help as well from some guys around him, and they were able to even the series on the road. That's the impressive thing. Trailing in the series, trailing at halftime, on the road. Curry, you know, banged up his ankle two nights prior. Has been the guy on that team this entire series. And went out there and played like that, especially in the fourth quarter. Which takes me to the other side of the matchup, the Celtics. Right, You keep trying to force it down my throat, and I'm finally hearing some people here since Game 4 Friday night push back on this idea of Jason Tatum as some sort of superstar or top player in the league. Something I've been saying for weeks, and others are starting to finally notice. Because Jason Tatum has not been good enough. In that second half of Game 4 Friday night, while Steph Curry was leading his guys back on the road, while trailing, with a hurt ankle, Jason Tatum, on the other end, had two baskets the entire second half as the Warriors outscored the Celtics on Boston's home floor by 15 in the second half. Boston had a chance to put that series away at home Friday. Tatum disappeared. The Celtics did not play well. And this is a concern for Boston. This was one of my concerns going into this series, that this year the Celtics, in clutch moments, were the second-worst performing team. What's a clutch moment? If the game is within five points in the final five minutes, they were the second-worst team in the league in those situations. The Warriors were one of the best in the league. And we saw that Friday night. When the game was hanging in the balance there, late in the fourth quarter, the Celtics did nothing. They scored six points in the final seven and a half minutes. The Warriors pulled away with the big win Friday night. And when you look at how Boston played, 
that's what was so disappointing. The shot selection, the decisions on offense, and also the fact that their star kind of disappeared. Marcus Smart had a big three to put the Celtics up four, but about five minutes ago. After that, Jalen Brown took the next, next two shots. Then Tatum had a miss. Then Marcus Smart took the next two shots. Then Al Horford. And then Brown. And then White. Tatum, supposedly the star, took one shot in the final five minutes. Instead, it was a lot of Jalen Brown. It was Marcus Smart. It was Al Horford. It was uh, Jalen Brown again. Derek White. No Jason Tatum. One shot attempt for Tatum in the last about six minutes of that game when the team needed him the most. And that's the big difference. When the Warriors needed Steph Curry, he stepped up and played huge. Scoring 43 points on the road. We weren't sure right how healthy he was going to be. Turned out he was absolutely fine. He played the best game of his series, ironically, after suffering some sort of foot injury the game prior. And meanwhile, Tatum disappeared once again, as he has in many second halves. You can keep trying to force it down my throat about him being a superstar. But I watched that game Friday. I saw one player disappear at home, and I saw the other one come up big when his team needed him the most, putting his team on the back on the road, bum ankle, trailing in the series to get a win. And now the Warriors favored once again, heading back home in what's become a three-game series, and Golden State has home court advantage. That was the turning point, that second half of Game 4 Friday night. And that's when, as we always say, right, in these big, big spots, that's what creates legacy. I have my tears of clutchness. Jason Tatum has not been clutch. He disappeared. Steph Curry, meanwhile, made huge shots to will his team to a victory to even up that series. And that's the big difference. We could see the potential from Tatum. He could have some big first halves. He could put up some gaudy numbers in the press in the uh, box score. Not all numbers are created equally. right? Tatum will put up good numbers every night. When you watch the game, you come away not as impressed. But what defines that legacy or how impactful a player truly is is what they do in the big spots and at the end of games. Tatum disappeared. Steph Curry stepped up. And now this series is tied heading back to Golden State. Here is J.J. Redick, and then you'll hear Vince Carter at the end of this clip as well. Talking about Jason Tatum. What does he need to do tonight in Game 5 and moving forward to try to help the Celtics? He's not even the leading scorer on the Celtics this series. And they need, to, they need their star player to try to help him out to win an NBA Finals. Here is Redick and Vince Carter breaking down Tatum's performance now moving forward this morning on ESPN's Get Up. It's actually pretty simple. He just needs to make some two-pointers. He's been awful shooting two-pointers in this series. And I think some of it is taking advantage of his size. Some of it is slowing down and just making the right read. At times, mm-hmm. I think he's getting sped up and he's driving into no man's land with no real plan. You, you, you know, that graphic showed his second half numbers. How about the fourth quarter? Mm. He's four for 16 in the fourth quarter in this series. Just really poor play on the offensive end, shooting the basketball for him in the second half in this series. Vince, uh, what advice coming out of halftime does Jason need to take to actually change this momentum? Uh, I mean, J.J. said it, aggressive, aggressive getting to the, into the, uh, well, close to the basket, work your, working your way inside out. You know, don't settle for those tough twos and, and slow down a little bit. You know, sometimes being aggressive now, setting someone else up will help you maybe two or three plays later because they've seen that play before and they know you'll make the right play. So for Jason, just be aggressive, but work, get, get, get close to the basket first, then work your way out to twos and to the threes. I think sometimes he settled uh, a couple of times we saw last game. He saw Bielitsa. He tried to take take the, the you know, take him off the dribble plays great defense and then settles for a tough two instead of just getting in the paint, maybe getting off the ball because they try to help off of Bielitsa when they see that mismatch. J.J. Redick and Vince Carter breaking it down this morning. It's simple. 
Just make more twos. Yeah, easier said than done. But Jason Tatum is shooting 27% from inside the arc on two-pointers in this NBA Finals. 27% from a first-team All-NBA guy. Not good enough. I know he's only 24, and it's his first NBA Finals. But he's got to play much better, especially in the second half. Not even the leading scorer on the Celtics this series. And that was the big difference Friday night. Steph Curry played like a star. Jason Tatum played like he wasn't even on the floor. And the role players for Golden State made bigger plays than the role players for Boston. And they won a big game on the road. Now we have game five tonight. And again, the numbers suggest, right, whoever wins game five in a series tied at 2-2, two to two, they win something like 71% of the time. We also heard those numbers about the Celtics after winning game one and winning game three, and yet the Warriors right now are still favored in the series. But tonight is, of course, a huge swing game. Game five of a 2-2 series. I am very intrigued by tonight's game. I'd like to think that Golden State, going back home after the way they played Friday, that they'll be able to take the lead tonight. But the Celtics have not lost back-to-back games in the postseason. They've done it just once in the last five months. And they've been better on the road than at home. We saw that in game one of this series when they already won at Golden State. So my heart, I guess, would be telling me the Warriors, it feels like the Warriors come back home tonight, play well as they did the other night, and win this game to take the lead in the series at home. But then my head says, well, hold on. The Celtics always play so well after a loss. If you look at the Celtics, following wins, their average turnovers would be about the highest in the league. Following losses, their average number of turnovers would be about the lowest in the league. It's a very odd trend. They're a young team. They're inconsistent. And maybe maybe they just need a little urgency or that pressure, that chip on their shoulder to go out there and play well following losses. But the Celtics have been so good after a loss the second half of the season and especially in the postseason. I would like to think the Warriors could win at home tonight, but it's still hard to doubt Boston coming off a loss because we just not we haven't seen them play back-to-back bad games in a very long time. I don't know if they'll do it tonight. But in order for the Celtics to get a win on the road, Tatum's going to have to play a lot better than he did in Game 4. I don't know if you'll be able to slow down Curry, right? It's the old cliche, you can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. I don't know if you can even contain him right now. He's shooting 50% on threes this series. He's averaging 34 points. He's been remarkable. But Tatum's going to have to play big, and those role players, of course, will have to step up on the road for Boston tonight. Game four was a lot of fun. I hope game five tonight is the same thing. And what a huge game it is in the NBA Finals. I'd like to think the Warriors can win at home, but it's hard to expect the Celtics to have back-to-back bad performances, something they haven't done in months. We'll see what happens tonight. And we'll continue to break it down throughout the afternoon. We'll get to Paul Feinbaum's comments about Clemson. He continues to go after Dabo and the Clemson Tigers. When we come back, the Charlotte Hornets have hired their new coach. I like the move. And also, there's something connecting all of the hires, the new hires in the NBA this offseason. And we have seen this in football as well. Now we're seeing it in basketball. And we'll get to that next. It's more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers. Lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Coming up, 
The Hornets have their new head coach. I like the decision made by Charlotte, and it also shares something in common with some of the other moves we're seeing. We'll get to that here on the Moore Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Hey, I filled in for the uh, Charleston Battery Saturday night. That's right. That's right. How'd it go? Uh, it wasn't bad. Okay. It went well enough. I don't know. See, I've never done soccer before for PA. I used to bro- I broadcasted soccer play-by-play way back when, but you knew, or I felt I knew how to handle that. For PA, like, I don't know. I don't know how... I don't know how the normal guy does it. Everybody right. should, you know, do it your own way, whatever. Be your own voice. Be unique. Yeah. Come but on. I don't know, like, I I assume they go pretty crazy, like, if a goal scored. I didn't do, I didn't go too crazy. I didn't do no, uh, like, on the broadcast when you're watching it on TV. Oh, yeah, like a Spanish broadcast yeah. where you go goal They're for 15 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't do anything like that. <laughs> no, you should have. That would have been sweet. It would have been fun. And the accent, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, there's also a situation where whenever there was an injury, we'd have to do a read, and it was for a sponsor. And, you know, in soccer, a lot of times guys fall down, and then you have to go out there and they check on them, everything okay, or they take a little while to get up. People may call it flopping. I did not. And um, there's a read. And so, like, I was curious, like, you know, it is a, an injury. So it's like when you watch the news and they report bad news, they always say it, like, in a monotone voice. Right. But I am also reading something for a sponsor, so I think the sponsor wants to make sure that, you know, so that was a little luck. Like, I don't know how to handle this. How do we handle and then a lot of times, like I said, people think that they're just, like, flopping anyway. So do we take these things really serious? Or right. So anyways, I don't know. But point being, the whole reason why I bring this up is because I've always said whenever we have, like, certain teams on the Moro Midday Show, they usually go on and have uh, good luck or success. So we're pretty good luck around here for the teams. The Battery won their first game of the season. Whoa. Then they did not win any of their next 12 matches. Right. Until Saturday. What? You know what the score was Saturday night? What was it? Three nothing. They won. Are you kidding me? Their best match of the best game of the year. Luke Morrow in right. attendance, folks. Yep. I mean, this is a this is a cry to all teams out there. If they want to win, you bring Luke, bring Luke Morrow in the building, folks. That's right. We used to have um, somebody from the Stingrays on every week about two years ago. That was the year they made it to the championship. Well, and then uh, the Battery had a good year last year when we were bringing guys on every week. This year, not so much, but I guess I had to be in attendance. We had a, a eight-man uh, football team on. They've won the state title back-to-back years after we've had the coach on. I tell you, we're good luck around here. Oh, yeah. So if you have a losing streak that you need to, <laughs> to beat, give us a call, and for a small fee, I could come out to the game and provide you with good luck. Yeah, we'll, no, we'll negotiate those yeah. fees. Look, yeah, we, we can heighten these prices if you're bringing true, honest luck to these folks, right. like Blue of Earth. I mean, you, you know, you're basically <laughs> yeah. kind of witchcraft here. Exactly. That's right. They hadn't won a game since uh, March 12th, first game of the year. I show up, boom, three nothing, best game of the year. So, I think I'm. I, I think I should take all of the credit. Forget the guys that actually scored the goals and played the game Saturday night. I think it was all me. Now I know the the battery has uh, frosés out there, yes. you know, hot and ready or cold and ready. Excuse me. Uh, did you get any after the uh, after the game? Did you get a frosé? I did not. In fact, I couldn't make it over that way. If I had walked past that stand, maybe I would have been tempted. <laughs> I was hoping that maybe I could still get one of those uh, pizzas they got, the, Ooh. The, the pizza place they have out there. But the way it works is they block off that portion of the stadium so that the players can make their way off the field ah, into okay. the um, locker room. And this is a credit to the battery and the players. The players are so great with the fans that they were out there taking pictures, signing autographs, talking to the kids for a long time, which is exactly what they should do and is exactly what you know it's all about. But, but then it was blocked off for so long, I waited for a while. Mm. 
so that I could get over to that area. And then maybe I would have walked by the pro. <laughs> I don't know if they were still open once the game ended. I don't know, but I would have walked right past them, and maybe I would have grabbed one for the road on a nice warm night after a hard night of work. Absolutely. But I said, I, ca- I can't wait any longer, so I went out the other way and walked <laughs> to the car. So no, no froses. I had to keep it professional. Although I tell you what, uh, that would have helped me uh, loosen up for that goal call. Yeah, exactly. A little exactly. say in the booth. <laughs> but but no, we kept it professional Saturday night. It was all good. It was great. Loved the people over there at the battery. Uh, glad they played well and got a win, and uh, it was fun to be there. Great folks. Great folks. Yeah, they do a good job over there. So if you haven't been yet uh, this summer, go uh, check out a game. They're back home in a couple of weeks. And I uh, appreciate I don't know if they'll ever uh, uh, invite me back at the PA booth. I don't know. Hopefully I didn't screw it up too bad. You know, I did have a couple of slip-ups, though. Oh, and I'm very, um, not even competitive is the word, right? Because this isn't like a competitive role. But ah, got very upset with myself. I, I, I tripped over a word or two a couple of times. Oh, uh, well, oh, okay. So it was just, a, it wasn't a name or anything that you I got incorrect? I think I got all the names right. Okay, cool. As far as I know. That's a big thing in soccer, oh, yeah. right? That's like doing a hockey broadcast. You got to know, like, all these names, got to know the pronunciation. And obviously, you being a professional, you probably did your due diligence. Yeah, and there, of course, soccer, international players, there are some tough names. Yeah. So I think I got them all right. I think. Tweet us if you if uh, Luke got yeah, any wrong. Yeah, if you were there Saturday <laughs> and you said, "Who is this annoying guy that keeps talking over the speakers?" Let me know. Uh, but yeah, it was fun. It was a good night, and uh, it was great that the battery got a win. For some reason, USL, the league that they're in, maybe because I'm not used to saying it so much. It's like obviously the NFL is part of our vernacular; it just rolls off your tongue. That was a tough one, and I really had to enunciate and say it like I just did. USL, like I had to say it really slowly. Mm. Okay. I tripped up over that when I tried to rip right through USL. Because you're not used to saying it all the time. You know, that's probably yeah, why. Yeah, I guess. There's something about the combination of those letters for some reason. <laughs> the tongue twister for me. USL. I could say it now, but I don't know. Saturday night, I was. That one was giving me a hard time. For Think about night. if you were on a USFL broadcast. That USFL, is, that yeah. is that's probably know. more difficult. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. That was good. Uh, I'm glad the battery won, and uh, it was a beautiful Saturday night. Hopefully you were there and enjoyed some soccer. Hey, the Hornets hired their new coach. Kenny Atkinson is picked over Mike D'Antoni. I like the uh, the hire and the decision. I think Kenny Atkinson, as I said last week on the show, is a better fit for what the Hornets are trying to build, and he's somebody that can try to build them up. That's what he does. Now, when he was fired at Brooklyn, the only other time he was a head coach, he was fired uh, just uh, two years ago. And, of course, remember, that was the whole Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant coming in, thinking they don't need a head coach. Kyrie did that interview before he even played a game that said, like, yeah, we don't need a head coach. Right? Me and Kevin, we can run the team. So, you know, when you look at Atkinson and the way things ended in Brooklyn, uh, I don't know if that's uh, as big of an indictment on him as it was just the situation he was then put into with some of those guys coming in. And the Hornets do not have those type of star players. See, Atkinson's background was with the Hawks and Budenholzer, and the, the idea of Budenholzer, right, similar. Now you have Giannis, who's a star now, but Giannis seems to be a very, I guess you would say, humble star. He's not a Kyrie Irving or even like, uh, you know, Penny Hardaway got coaches fired, Magic got coaches fired. I don't know if Giannis would be that type of guy. And it's more about the culture, and it's about the team, and we're all in this together, and Giannis is the perfect star for Milwaukee. So that's the background of Kenny Atkinson. Then he goes to Brooklyn, and early on, right, the reason why they hired him was because they didn't have that star player. Then they wind up with Kyrie and Durant. Things don't go well. So the concerns are, you know, can Atkinson, can he coach a star? Well, the Hornets don't really have one just yet. Maybe you hope Ball will get to that point. Maybe he has the makings because of his father and what we know about the Ball family, that he could become somebody like a Kyrie Irving who's tough to deal with from a coaching perspective uh, as he continues to get better in this league. I don't know. 
But I think Atkinson is a good move and a good hire to try to build this Hornets team to where they're going because they're not quite there yet. We saw that. Right? They, they got to the play-in round, and they got embarrassed. So they're knocking on the door of being a playoff team. They're a young team. I think Atkinson's a good hire to come in. He fits that group, and he could try to build this organization. I think they need a big guy in the draft. Maybe you try to spend some money this offseason. Go try to get an Aiton. I don't know. But I think he needs to add some size. And uh, now they got the coach, and we'll see what the Hornets can do moving forward. But here's what I find interesting, and we see this all the time. I think it's, honestly, despite liking this hire, I think we see a lot of lazy hiring practices in the sports world. We have seen it in recent years in the NFL with Sean McVay, and it's nothing new. We saw it with Bill Belichick's assistants, college football, Saban's assistants get hired all the time. When somebody is successful, you can't hire that guy, so you figure the next best thing are the guys around them. And so after Sean McVay's immediate impact with the Rams, right now you've had like a Kingsbury, a Zach Taylor, Kevin O'Connell, Mike McDaniel, all these guys throughout the NFL hired from the Sean McVay coaching tree or at least seen to be something similar to a Sean McVay, which is essentially a young offensive coach, and they all happen to be like good-looking guys as well. Apparently that doesn't hurt either. And in the NBA, three coaches have been hired this offseason. Kenny Atkinson just hired in Charlotte. Darvin Ham hired by the Lakers. Both come from the Mike Budenholzer tree, who, of course, won the NBA Finals with the Bucks last year. And he stems from the Greg Popovich coaching tree, which has been a popular tree, right? People want to duplicate, replicate what the Spurs have accomplished. Budenholzer is doing that a little bit in Milwaukee. And so now other teams are trying to pluck away from Mike Budenholzer and guys who have been close to him to try to duplicate what he has done. Kenny Atkinson, Darvin Ham this offseason. And the third coach hired this offseason is Mike Brown, who's also coming from the, um, from the Golden State Warriors, which is where Kenny Atkinson currently is. So the Warriors are going to lose two of their assistants here after the finals. But we see this all the time. It's nothing new, but I always see it as somewhat lazy. Right? The Warriors are the best dynasty we've had in a while. So when the Kings have to go make a hire, they go take Mike Brown, an assistant from that team. The Lakers and the Hornets are looking for head coaches. Well, the Bucks did just win a championship a year ago. Darvin Ham, right, coach with Budenholzer. Let's get him. Kenny Atkinson coached with Budenholzer, and then now is coaching with the Golden State Warriors. They're in the NBA Finals. We should go hire him. And sometimes it works, of course. Sometimes it doesn't. But we always seem to see teams do this where they just go look at the best team and try to take their assistance and hope that, well, they must, you know, they must have the secret recipe. They know the, the key being uh, an assistant on a good team. And sometimes you can't hire a Budenholzer or Steve Kerr. You think the next best thing is the guy sitting next to them on the bench. That's not always the case. But I do like the Kenny Atkinson hire. Lastly, it is somewhat interesting, though, that he is replacing uh, James Borrego, who is also uh, a Spurs guy, a Greg Popovich assistant. So you're replacing Borrego, who comes from the same coaching background as Kenny Atkinson. So you already had somebody from that Popovich, Budenholzer bloodline, if you will, and now you're just getting another in Kenny Atkinson. We'll see if this one works out better for the Hornets. But I do like that move. I also find it interesting when you look at the hiring this offseason, and I guess it's nothing new in sports, but the three coaches getting hired in the NBA this offseason coming from the two best teams in recent years. It's usually how it works, but there's not a lot of originality in some of these decisions. You just look at the best teams in the league, and eh, we'll just get their assist. We can't get their head coach, so we'll get their assistants instead. And that's what's going on, and we'll see if it works for the Hornets with Atkinson. When we come back, uh, uh, Paul Feinbaum continues to take shots at Dabo Sweeney and Clemson. We'll get to that next.
More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Ben, lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. There's a girl in this harbor town and she works laying whiskey down. They say brandy, fetch another round. She serves them whiskey and wine. They say, they say brandy, you're a fine girl. Coming up, Paul Feinbaum continues to go after Clemson. Does he have a point? We'll get to that here in the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio in just a moment. They have a uh, heat advisory in effect today until 7 p.m. Feel like temperature could get up to 107 in certain parts. Feel like temperature yesterday was about 98. Summer is here. And Trent decided to go golfing with uh, long pants on yesterday in that heat. Old move. And a dark shirt. You, you ah. know, it wasn't it wasn't ideal, Luke. But hey, sometimes you got to brave the conditions, and that what makes that's what makes you a better golfer. It's if true. you do so, if you go out there, you sweat, you grind. Right. It, it's it just makes you better. That's true. Fair point. <laughs> You'll be better for uh, better moving forward from yesterday. Even though it was by far my worst round I've ever played. Like there's no doubt about it. Well, better long term effects. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Down the road. I, the heat is uh, has, is always overrated. Look, heat's better than the cold, but there's that happy medium. All right? You don't want it to be too hot because then what do you do? You sit inside in the air conditioning anyways and then hope it cools off by night anyways. We're under a heat advisory today. I mean, what are yeah. we doing until 7 p.m.? It's crazy. It's true. I know. I'll be staying inside. Um, Paul Feinbaum, we played the um, – or I read the clips last week from his own show last week when he was upset with a, a, a list put together – as you know, the Dan Patrick Show calls it list season this time of year. Everyone does their list, and it's it's easy fodder. And the Dan Patrick Show has, has fun with the idea of all these lists. Bill Bender had put out a list for the top coaches in college football, and he was on the Feinbaum Show, and they were debating if Dabo should be number two ahead of Kirby Smart for best coaches in college football. So we talked about it last week on the show. Then Feinbaum went on a radio show in Alabama and continued this conversation. This is a bit of a long clip, but it's a lengthy rant from Feinbaum going after Clemson. Here's what Paul had to say Friday on Alabama radio, talking about Dabo, Clemson, and uh, even the fan base. Here's everything Feinbaum had to say about Clemson. Well, we're taking a stroll down memory lane. Uh, speaking of yesterday's news, Clemson's Dabo Sweeney, apparently. Uh, well, you understand the context, uh, so I'm not going to bore your audience. I was talking to a, a writer who, was, who had Dabo number two uh, in, in, his, in the sporting news list, and, and I started arguing with him. I said, how can you have Kirby Smart number three? And he said, well, Dabo's one, two out of the last. I said, Dabo's yesterday's news. And, and I will tell you, uh, Mark, I, 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 I always kind of vacillate sometimes, uh, but there, there is no doubt after reading uh, social media yesterday that the most insecure, paranoid fan base of college football in America is Clemson. Uh, the Clemsonites uh, you know, take, you know, take that to a, a, a whole new level. And I don't know, you know, it's one thing if you've never, if you, if you, if you've never won a national championship, it's another thing if, if you haven't won one since 19, 
uh, 88 like Notre Dame or, or Michigan that has won uh, a grand total of one and a half national championships in 70 years. But these guys have won two in, in recent years, and they, they are just so desperate for attention. They're so desperate for adulation. They're, they're so desperate to be loved. And, and they play in a league that speaks for itself. Uh, I don't yeah. need to waste your audience's time on the ACC. <laughs> I, you know, I've already talked about where that league is going. And you know, Dabo Sweeney's not the second-best coach in the country. Not at all. Uh, I said he's yesterday's news because look at his staff. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, one of his offensive coordinators went down to Florida to be a head coach. Uh, this year, uh, where, where did uh, uh, you know Vanderbilt's left to go to Oklahoma? Another one left to become a head coach. Uh, his number one, uh, you know, inside man, uh, Thad Turnipsey, went to Oklahoma. So did other people. I, and, and he gambled on himself. That's what everyone says. And I, I don't I, – yeah, this program is going to be highly regarded this year because, uh, you know, they, play, they have a really easy schedule, uh, as always. But I don't think I don't think Dabo Sweeney's – you know, when you talk about the top coaches in the country anymore, if you're objective, if you're looking at today, looking ahead, you know, after you talk about Saban, it's Kirby. Uh, it's Ryan Day. Uh, it's Mario Cristobal. It, it's, it's Jimbo Fisher. Uh, to me, Dabo uh, is living off of Deshaun Watson uh, and, and Trevor Lawrence, and we saw how what a mess he made out of uh, the next uh, great quarterback last year. So, I mean, I, I just laugh at Clemson fans and uh, get get over yourself, okay? You're not that important. Uh, you're, you're you're really not that. Uh, this is 2022. College football has left you behind. A lot of things said there uh, from Feinbaum. I'm still taking notes on all all the, the, the things he said. A lot of uh, comments about five months going after Clemson, going after Dabo, going after the fan base, the ACC. Let's break this down piece by piece. First, in regards to Clemson fans, calling them, quote, most insecure, paranoid fan base in college football, and later saying that Clemson fans are so desperate for attention. Now, some things Feinbaum said in that three-minute rant I don't agree with. Some things he said in that three-minute rant I do agree with. And there is something about the Clemson fan base uh, that uh, people always um, discuss or talk about, about how they are, I guess you could say, sensitive. People refer to the Clemson fan base as even acting uh, like some sort of cult. And I don't know if it's the fact that Clemson fans would feel underappreciated because they're like the new kids on the block and maybe feel like they don't get the same respect as an Alabama or maybe even a Georgia, certainly from a fine bomb, or even Ohio State or some of the more historic programs, historically relevant programs in college football. I don't know if it's because the concern of uh, the fact that maybe some view the success as being fleeting for Clemson and the concern about that and what the future may hold. Or sometimes maybe it's just simply that you never change where you came from. And you probably know that friend. In fact, we talked about this a little bit when LeBron James became a billionaire and Dwayne Wade still said he's the the cheapest uh, cheapest guy in the NBA. Right, because you may know somebody who came up who was raised through uh, you know humble beginnings, tough childhood, and then they they did well for themselves as an adult, came into some money, but they're still very careful with their money. And you think like, what? You got all the money in the world, but they still think back to how they were raised or what they came up with, or are just concerned about returning to that point, or even like a great athlete, 
Michael Jordan gets cut from his whatever it was freshman team, still carries that chip on his shoulders to the point that he invites the coach that cut him to his Hall of Fame induction all those years ago, uh, all those years later, just to further uh, you know get back at him. Chip on the shoulder of a Tom Brady for being drafted in the fifth round 20 years ago. That guys don't, you know, athletes, even just people, us humans, it may be hard to forget where you, you came from or ever change how you were raised or brought up or how you once were. And so similar with Clemson that at one point they weren't winning these national championships. And now that they are winning national championships, or at least were, and competing at the highest level of the sport, it's that other phrase that people always say about, you know, new money. You don't know how to act. But I do agree with the, at, at least to a certain degree, maybe I wouldn't be so harsh as Feinbaum, but that the Clemson fan base is very sensitive. If you want to say insecure, sure, that's another term for it. And they do not like any pushback on their program, their coach, their fans, at least certainly not as much as uh, other fan bases. In regards to the ACC, this is a common complaint, right? They play in the ACC. They can't compare to a Georgia and Alabama, the SEC. I've always acknowledged that the ACC, of course, is not as good of a conference as the SEC. But it's hard to continue to put down Clemson and put them with the rest of the ACC teams when they were so dominant in the ACC and when they went to go win their national championships, it's not like they only went through the ACC to do so. They beat Nick Saban. So I never got this argument. Do they have an easier path to get to the playoff? Yeah, sure, maybe. But then they still have to beat a Georgia or an Alabama or whatever other top teams you want to throw at them. And they were able to when they won the national championships. They beat Saban twice in a big game. How often has Kirby Smart done that? He finally did it for the first time this past year, but that's what was holding him back. And it's the classic, like you always have that buddy that says he makes up some sort of excuse for why maybe you were more successful. And the best comparison I could think of off the top of my head would be something so silly, I imagine you'd never be in this situation. But if somebody was saying, like, the only reason why you got better grades in high school was because you went to an easier high school, and now you're at the same college together and you're getting better grades with him, or better grades than him at that same school. It's like, okay, now what can you say for yourself? Which isn't the perfect example, but it's similar in the sense that SEC fans always put, well, they, only, they play ACC teams. It's so much easier. Okay, and then they went and they beat Alabama on a level playing field, the best team that you have from your conference. So now what are the excuses? So while the ACC is certainly an easier path, an easier schedule, an easier conference than the SEC, you can't write off Clemson's success because, well, they don't play in the SEC. They've beaten plenty of SEC teams along the way. Other things that stood out, as he said uh, yesterday, right, Dabo's yesterday's news. He very well may be. We'll see as we move forward in college football. But isn't that the whole basis of this ranking? Is what they have done yesterday, right, in years past? Isn't that the idea of when you're ranking the best coaches in college football? I think we usually do it off the resumes and what they've accomplished, which would be, by definition, I guess, right, yesterday's news. What do they do in the past? When we talk about the best coaches in college football, it's not usually some sort of a predictor. You don't put somebody who's just been hired in the top five and think, like, I'm, I think he's going to be a top five coach, right? Uh, Feinbaum said he's lost his staff. Well, we kind of have to see him coach without said staff before we completely write him off. And you can't erase all of the accomplishments from the past based off of your belief of what the future holds, which is just simply a belief. Feinbaum thinks Clemson's falling behind, the sport's passing them by, that they will become yesterday's news. 
But we don't know that for sure, so it's hard to make that determination right now today. It's like Bill Belichick, right? The Patriots may not be as good the rest of Belichick's career. Does that suddenly undo the success he had in the past? Because they're not quite as good as they once were? Do you say, oh, you know what? Actually, this Belichick guy, he's not one of the best coaches in the NFL. No, I think Bill Belichick is the greatest coach we've ever had in the NFL. Even if he won't be as successful moving forward. Or even win another Super Bowl. So same with Dabo, that even if you think Clemson's done winning national championships, what he's already accomplished is enough on the resume to put him still in that conversation of top coaches. When you want to talk about looking ahead, right? as he said, it's about Saban, it's about Kirby, it's about Day, it's about Mario Cristobal in the ACC. That's interesting. It's maybe more about Mario in the ACC than Dabo right now. And then also Jimbo Fisher was thrown in there. I would cool it on the Jimbo talk. He has to prove something. At, I know he's won a national championship before. But you got to prove me something at Texas A&M first before I say the future of college football is Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M. And lastly, the, the last things that he said at the end, number one, college football is leaving you behind. Maybe we'll see. This is what I've talked about with the transfer portal and some of these other things that Clemson may not be as big on. We'll find out. We don't know that yet. We may assume that, but we, we can't base that in fact just yet when it comes to these comparisons. And the last thing, Feinbaum said, right, Clemson fans, you're not that important. Clemson was at the top of the sport winning national championships there for a period. We'll see if they get back to that point, maybe as soon as this year, competing for a national title. But I do think it's true that if you were picking the top teams in college football, if you did some sort of super conference, you would like to include Clemson, assuming that they're competing at the highest level. But, yeah, for a long time they weren't competing at the highest level, and college football was just fine. So I do agree they're not on the same level as a USC, a Michigan, an Ohio State, an Alabama. They only are when they are competing for national championships. We'll wrap up Hour 1 next. It's more Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Wrapping up hour one of the Morrow Midday Show at Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Talking about Feinbaum ranting against Clemson and Dabo Sweeney last segment. Obviously, we know Feinbaum, right, is an SEC guy. And the next time he says something nice about somebody outside of the SEC, will probably be the first. But when it comes to these rankings, the whole idea is based off of in the past. Like the, my Minnesota Vikings just hired Kevin O'Connell. I'm optimistic about it. But I can't say, hey, the league, it's an offensive league now. O'Connell's an offensive guy. He comes from Sean McVay. I think he, right, the game is moving in his direction. It's passing these defensive coaches by. I think Kevin O'Connell is a top-five coach. I, when we do these lists, it's, it would sound ridiculous to try to base it off the future. I think Mike McDaniel is already a top-five coach in the NFL because I think he's going to do great things in Miami. You may be right, but we already have the resumes of these other coaches who have shown they could be successful. Now, look, Kirby Smart just won a national championship. He has shown he could be successful. That's the debate between Kirby and Dabo. But my point being, you can't base these lists off of what you believe is going to happen in the future. How can we do that to rank best coaches? That's another. That's a separate kind of list. You can only go off of what they've accomplished, and I think Dabo still is number two. Eight months from now, that may change if they have another down year. But right now, I think he's still number two. Hey, we'll talk baseball. We'll talk some movies with Adnan Virk when we come back. Hour two next. It's the more Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
WTMZ, 98.9 FM, WTMZ, 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Second hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. I assume it's probably already too late for today and this week, but our 2022 Summer Golf Tour is continuing on as we have entered week five out of ten. So uh, this is uh, about the midway point. We have hit halftime. And this week it was the links at Stono Ferry. Hopefully you got yourself a foursome this morning. If not, don't worry. We still have a few more weeks to go. We're halfway through. Next week will be the Rivertown Country Club. Foursomes go on sale every Monday morning at 8 a.m. for just 98.9. So make sure you're ready to go next Monday, 8 a.m. Put it in the calendar. Set the alarm. And be set to go for next week's foursomes for the 2022 Summer Golf Tour. All you have to do is head over to charlestonsportsradio.com. Don't let me bury the lead. charlestonsportsradio.com is where you have to go. You'll see it there right on the homepage. 2022 Summer Golf Tour. Every Monday, 8 a.m., new foursomes go on sale for 98.9. Be ready to go next Monday. When I go on the website, it's uh, it takes you to the to the uh, golf course. So I don't know. Have we heard anything? I assume uh, that they sold out because the force they sell out within minutes. I haven't heard anything yet, Luke, but I would assume so. I can go ask our uh, lovely uh, man in the back there to see if he has uh, heard anything. But I'm assuming it probably sold out knowing our summer golf tour. Yeah, absolutely. It goes quick. Just make sure you pick uh, uh, maybe a little bit of a cooler day to get out there. Yeah, try so. Try to yeah. do so. Heat advisory today. Goodness. It can be 107 or at least feel like 107 in some places. Brutal. Hey, we'll try to catch up with Adnan Burke uh, uh, and talk some baseball, talk some movies. We have to break down Hustle. Did you do your homework assignment? Did you watch Hustle this weekend? I did watch Hustle this weekend, Luke. You know, I can't – I'm not a movie buff like you, so it's difficult for me. You are a movie buff. There's no doubt. You can can talk movies with the best of them, Luke. I mean, Scorsese, you, it's all up there. But (laughs) I I will say I can't break down – my my movie takes or was it a good movie or was it a bad movie <laughs> and and I thought I, I mean we'll break it down later but I enjoyed what I saw enjoyed you're, what I you're saw you're like uh, Andy in the office yeah 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 when he says uh, he says something like that he's uh, I forget the term he uses yeah but he he could <laughs> never be a food critic or an art critic this yeah this art is bad that's <laughs> that's what I would be if I was an art critic no I'm the same way too I read a lot of these reviews I'm somebody that I'll watch a movie and then I go into a deep Deep dive afterwards. I'll go on Reddit. I'll read the Wikipedia. I'll go on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know. I, I'm just very curious after seeing what other people think. Did I miss something? Yeah, and I'll see some. I'll read some of these reviews, and I feel like uh, movie reviewers, movie critics. I don't know. They try to put. They put in like these fancy words and everything sure. just to try to sound more important. 
But uh, they break down these films from a real like artsy perspective at times. And yeah, I'll be like, well, I, I don't know. I didn't see that. Just I tell me it, if it was good. Yeah. Just tell me if it was good. I thought it was funny. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know there was that message in the movie. I'm like, yeah, so I, I'm pretty basic too. But I do have a few. When it comes to the sports movies, there's a couple of things you got to nail in a good sports movie. So I got a couple of takeaways, a couple of critiques. We'll get to that later on. And in the baseball world, look, the Braves are playing really well. So uh, this is more about the AL. But what I find interesting is I was looking up uh, some numbers yesterday in Major League Baseball. The four teams that have played the most teams with losing records, the most sub-500 teams, are the four teams with the best record in the AL. So I find that very intriguing. And the Yankees now go through a stretch where they play 13 straight games against teams with winning records. So it'll be an intriguing next couple of weeks for a team like New York. Speaking of baseball, joining us now is Adnan Verk, who works for the MLB Network, also the NHL Network, and is host of the Cinephile Podcast. Listen to that wherever you get your podcast to hear his take on uh, movies and everything in entertainment. And he's on Twitter, at Adnan Verk as well. He's with us now. Adnan, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing great, Luke. How you doing, man? A pleasure to be on with you. Yeah, appreciate the time. Let's talk a little baseball first. I got a lot of things I want to ask you about. But when it comes to uh, these New York Yankees and how well they're playing, as we sit here today, I know it's only June 13th. I mean, is there a team out there? Can somebody stop this Yankee team? Or are we uh, looking at uh, a Yankee World Series this year? Uh, it certainly feels like it right now. And I live in the North Jersey area, so it's a lot of Yankee fans around me. I'm 35-minute drive away from Yankee Stadium. It's, it's pretty remarkable how good this team has been this year. You know, all the numbers. If you win, and when I look back, the Yankees have won 44 of their first 60 games. It's very rare that teams have been able to do that. And it's such a select list. 84 Tigers, they won the World Series. 98 Yankees, they won the World Series. Owen Mariners did not do so. Um, and there was one other team in that list as well who did win the World Series. So, like, five of their teams have had starts like this in the last 50 years, Luke, and four of the five have won the World Series. And the Mariners, by the way, they lost in the ALCS. So, I mean, at the very least, the Yankees are winning the division, and I would say they win a round, and they'll get to the ALCS. That's, that's like, bare minimum. More than likely, they make the World Series, and then winning it, Hey, listen, the Dodgers, I think, will be formidable. I love the Padres. I just got back from San Diego, so I'm, I'm pro-Padre, America's finest city. Um, you know, I think that the Mets are still going to have something to say about it if DeGrom and Schultz are healthy. But specifically this Yankee team, Aaron Judge is on pace for 66 home runs. Hmm. Like, the ultimate American League home run record is still Roger Maris, 61. Judge is taking dead aim at that. In a walk year, he's going to be getting $35 million a year over seven years, I think, when it's all said and done. That's how good this year is. He'll get seven years, 250, and he's 30 years of age. You know, Stanton's been really good. Donaldson gives him some edge. LeMahieu has bounced back. Their defense is much, much better. But the real story, Luke, has been their starting pitching. But there's no question about it. Garrett Cole's an ace, but even with hiccups, Nestor Cortez is in the Cy Young conversation. Jimison Tyon, the Canadian, has been excellent. He's also going to be a free agent after this year. Um, Luis Severino has looked like the two-time All-Star that he has hadn't pitched at all, really, in the last couple of years. And then you had Jordan Montgomery, who's an excellent lefty who reminds some of Andy Pettit. Bullpen's been a little beat, beat up, but still, Clay Holmes is outstanding. He's their new closer. Top to bottom, the only issue this year has been for the Yankees, how much people are getting mad at Joey Gallo. And even he is like hitting like a 95 OPS plus. If you like your analytics, 100 means he's an average player. So he's only a slightly below average player. That's the worst thing you can say about this team is Joey Gallo. That's the worst thing. Their catchers, like Trevino's actually had a good offense this season now, and they're much better defensively than Gary Sanchez ago. So in answer to your question, I think the Yankees win the World Series just because they don't have any true discernible weaknesses. Yeah, it's been an incredible start to the year for them. You know, I, I, on the flip side, in the NL, you mentioned a few teams there. Look, the Mets have the best record, and they've been doing it without their two aces. 
Now, of course, where we are, this is a Braves country. So I think a lot of Braves fans, as the Braves start to play better, are hoping that the Mets are in for some sort of uh, one of those classic chokes we've seen from them in the second half of seasons. When you look at the Mets, uh, is this uh, you know a team that um, – are they one of the better teams in the NL or one of the better teams in Major League Baseball? I guess my question would be, you know, are the Mets – obviously they have the best record right now through 60 games, so I guess it would feel odd questioning them. But how for real is this Mets team right now and what they're doing this year? I think it's definitely surprising. I thought they would win the division, but I also didn't think they would have this kind of success this early on. The fact they were eight games up as of a couple of weeks ago was really surprising to me, especially with DeGrom yet to have pitched this year and Scherzer missing significant time. But to your point, all the fans there in Braves country, here comes Atlanta. Ever since Brian Sitcher holds that team meeting, they can't lose. And clearly firing up the troops offensively. I mean, I love Acuna. He's back to being the guy that he should be. I thought Olsen was going to be in the MVP conversation. Love his play coming over from the Oakland Athletics. I'm a guy. Um, their pitching has obviously improved as well. I'm still waiting for Soroka to come back, my fellow Canadian. But I think Atlanta's on the kind of run that you were expecting they would be on. And we all know a year ago, they waited until August 6th to get above 500. They never looked back, win the World Series with 88 wins. 88 wins this year is not going to cut it. You're going to have to win at least 90 wins uh, to make the playoffs, especially in the National League. National League is better than the American League. You might get some 500-ish teams, like 85-win Red Sox might get the walk on the AL. Not going to happen in the NL. So I think the Braves have really shown how impressive they can be by going on this run, closing that deficit, and yet the Mets – Again, if I'm a New York fan, I go, hey, we're still, whatever it is, five, six games up. It's despite the fact we don't have our aces, Marquette just got hurt. Alonzo missed a couple games. Like, even if the lead, Luke, is, let's say, three games by the 4th of July, the Mets still feel pretty good because they know they're going to get Scherzer and DeGrom back in July. That is like an amazing trade deadline acquisition, right? You're not getting just one ace, but two aces. And their pitching went from being first in the National League to 24th since Scherzer's been out. So, obviously, the starter ERA will be impacted. But... I do think it'll be a great race of Atlanta and Philadelphia, and the Phillies finally lost. I do think Atlanta will be the more formidable challenger, but think how tough it is in the National League. So let's say Mets and Braves both make the playoffs. I think in the Central, it's Brewers and Cardinals, you know, one-two. And in the West, you've got Dodgers, Giants, and Padres. Like, to me, that's really strong seven teams looking for six playoff spots, and you can throw the Phillies in that mix. There's eight teams there. Two of them are not going to make it. So it's going to be a fun stretch down the stretch. You know, the Angels had that 14-game losing streak. They finally snapped. They fired Joe Madden in the middle of it. How important is it just for Major League Baseball in general to try to have Trout and Otani playing in important games, you know, in September or the second half of the year? It's critical. I was looking at the list of three-time MVPs, and Trout has easily played the fewest postseason games of any of those guys in that list. He's played three. Uh, very quickly, 2014, where they got swept against the Royals, and he really didn't do much in that series. You know, he is the best player in the game. You want to see him in the playoffs and the lights shine brightest. That's why, uh, part of the reason why football is so great, because Mahomes is the best player, and you've seen him win a Super Bowl. You've seen LeBron dominate the NBA. You want to see, as a baseball fan, the best player do well when the stars shine brightest, and that's why you want to get Trout and Otani in the playoffs. The fewest games otherwise of a three-time MVP playoff game is Jimmy Fox with 18. So that shows what a disparity is between Trout and other great players who have been able to have playoff success. I'm a big fan of Joe Madden. He's always great with the media. You know, he's funny. He's charming. I was disappointed to see that he got let go, but obviously they thought they had to do something. Did not see that tailspin coming. I called the Angels-Red Sox game May 4th. At that time, they were a first-place team. to be a game up. They looked great. Defense is really good. Offense, I turn a ward. Even with Rendon being hurt, um, you know, their starting pitching's improved because of Lorenzen and Syndergaard and Detmers and uh, Sandoval supplementing Otani. 
then the bottom fell out. Like, I've never seen anything like that. And two weeks, the whole season changed, and Joe's out of a job. And I think the Angels were maybe inspired a little bit by what happened with the Phillies. They fired Joe Girardi and just ripped off an eight-game winning streak. I think Artie Moreno saw that and saw the Angels lose to the Phillies specifically and said, okay, we can do the same thing. But it has not been that way. Yes, they stopped the bleeding. But I think Phil Nevin is realizing what a challenge is going to be. I like Phil. I think he's a good manager. Um, but they've got to have a – listen, that, that team, Luke, is way too much focused on, on those two guys. If Trout and Otani aren't producing, they're in trouble. The rest of that lineup just goes south in a hurry. Ward, they got to get back healthy. Rendon's done nothing since signing that contract. Either he's hurt or ineffective. Um, so it's going to be a challenge for L.A. to make the playoffs. Talking with Adnan Virk from the MLB Network, also the host of the Cinephile Podcast. So I have to ask you, Adnan, before we let you go, a couple of movie questions, because you have to explain this for me. Uh, the, the Top Gun sequel, Top Gun Maverick, I have not seen it yet. I'll be honest with you, I don't really care to go see it, in, at least in theaters, but everybody is talking about this movie being like the greatest movie of all time. And sequels usually don't deliver as good as the original, so help me out with this. Top Gun Maverick, are we really are we looking at this, this historically great movie, or... Is it nostalgia? What's going on with all the hype around this new Top Gun? Luke, it's number two by a mile. Anybody saying this is a great movie is a moron. Okay, plain and simple. That this what happened here is people haven't seen a movie in theaters in a long time. Guys like me, as you know, because of the Cinephile podcast, I'm in a movie theater watching a weekday matinee once a week, maybe once every two weeks. But I understand for the vast majority of people, they've been streaming, and unfortunately because of COVID, have not been in the theater. And I say, oh, my God, I love Top Gun. And the majority of this audience is 50-plus. So this is purely nostalgia. This is every 50-year-old guy going, oh, my God, uh, me and my brother used to argue, I'd be Maverick, he'd be Iceman, let's go relive our youth. It is a perfectly adequate movie. It's not a good movie, it's not a bad movie. It is perfectly adequate. It is exactly what to expect. And it is tried and true, formulaic film, Maverick, now an old man, along with Tom Cruise, his face is tighter than a bow and arrow. He's had more work done than Liz Taylor. He's still got black hair somehow, amazingly. He's drinking vampire's blood for all we know, raving psycho-scientologist that he is. Anyways, Tom Cruise is now, now the, the, the student becomes a teacher, right? Cocky guy, never really got promoted. Okay, I'm going to go teach this next new wave of recruits. And one of them is Goose's kid. I don't know if it's Goose's kid because he has a mustache. How about that kind of character development? Nice job there by the writer Christopher McCoy, who once won an Oscar for The Usual Suspects. Now he's slumming in Top Gun sequels. Anyways, they have an issue because, of course, Goose's dad was killed and Goose's kid blames Maverick for it, blah, blah, blah. Story couldn't be more melodramatic from Lake, et cetera. So that brings us to this. You're saying to yourself, I don't go see a movie with these because of plots. I want the action. And the action is good, but it's not great. It looks something special. Again, I, I can give you a dozen better action movies. I'm astonished at the level of people who are saying this is not only a great film, but should get Oscar bait. It's absurdity. As you know, I rank films as our four-way beliefs. I give this two-way beliefs. Again, average movie, fine, season. You want to be entertained? I guess so. And part of it, let's be clear, is I find Tom Cruise loathsome. As I referred to by Scientology ways, I think the best acting he's ever given is when he was jumping up and down on Oprah's couch. Because that's who this guy is. And I hope everybody who watches Top Gun Maverick and says it's a great film, I hope they also spend two hours watching Going Clear, which is the brilliant documentary made by Alec Gibney, which changed my life. I saw it in 2015, and it's called Going Clear, The Case Against Scientology. And you watch that film, and you see what a horrible person Tom Cruise is. The fact that he is complicit and aware of all the abuses that Scientology does. The fact they're even allowed to exist to me is appalling. And the fact that he is still out here making millions is just disgusting. Having said that, I paid my $13.50, and I parked aside my attitude towards him to watch it objectively. There is no doubt he is a massive movie star. He still looks great. I think he's a decent actor. Definitely made some good films. Rain Man, Jerry Maguire, sure. Color Money. As a person, he's, a, he's an F. 
And uh, I'm like I said, I'm shocked people are loving the movie that much. But then again, I'm not shocked. What is the summer all about? Superheroes, sequels, nostalgia. Away we go. Top Gun Maverick. That's a good point. Before we let you go, I have to ask you about another one. Are you intrigued? It just came out, so I'm sure you haven't seen it yet. You've been traveling. But Adam Sandler's basketball movie called Hustle. Are you intrigued about a Sandler basketball movie that just came out? Uh, not really, to be honest. You're right. I, I was traveling. I was in San Diego. I've heard about it. People are mentioning it in the office. Haven't had a chance yet. I'm more excited. Jerry and Marge Go Large. Unbelievable title. I just interviewed the director, David Frankel. He's going to be on the latest episode of Cinefile, which is coming out tomorrow. It stars two actors I love, the great Brian Cranston and Annette Bennett. So that film's on Paramount Plus this Friday. I got the screener sent to me. So I'm going to be watching that tomorrow uh, before I watch Hustle. I, listen, I like the Sandman. I'm not crazy about him like other people are. You know, I didn't watch The Waterboy and all that nonsense, Billy Madison. But I did love him in Uncut Gems. I thought he was tremendous. And I love him because I love Paul Thomas Anderson. I love Punch Drunk Love. So I'm aware that it's got the sports bent to it. And uh, a friend of mine said Robert Duvall's in it. Was, I, mean, I love Robert Duvall's. Maybe I'll watch it for him. But I know it's on Netflix. I will check it out. I'm sure basketball fans will enjoy it. But you're asking me personally, I'm not particularly fired up. I might get around to that. I don't know. We'll see. He's at Nanverk. Check out that podcast, Cinephile Pod, which, as he said, has released the latest episode tomorrow. Listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. And watch Adnan on the MLB Network and the NHL Network as well. He's on Twitter at Adnan S. Verk. Adnan, appreciate the time breaking down baseball and some movies with us. Appreciate you joining us. Luke, I did it for one reason. I heard Charleston. I have heard Charleston is one of the great cities in America. I've been bugging my wife and kids for five years to go. This is pre-pandemic, but I was still at ESPN in 2017. So we're going to try to come down to Charleston this July. I'm going to have to hit you up. Let me know where to go, restaurants, because, listen, they're selling me big on Hilton Head here for the kids. So I think it's going to be like a two-day Charleston, five-day Hilton Head. But please, I will take your uh, recommendations. I want to go see Fort Sumter, big Civil War guy. I can't wait. Charleston, here we come. Absolutely. Hey, absolutely. We'll uh, we'll take care of you when you come down. Appreciate it, Adnan. All right. Thanks, Luke. Take care. Pleasure's all ours. Appreciate it. Adnan Burke. And I'll be honest with you, I'd say you flip that. I think you do two days at Hilton Head, five days in Charleston. Yeah, that's that's the move. Go play golf at Hilton Head. Go enjoy the quiet, nice beach. And if you want to go bring the kids, have a good time, you come to Chucktown. I mean, yeah. you come to the Holy City. That's what it's about. Come on. Charleston, great spot. Uh, appreciate the time for Adnan. Strong take, strong opinion on the new Top Gun. Yes. But I think, I haven't seen the movie, I think a fair and right opinion. I do not get the hype around this movie. People talk about it's the greatest of all time. Well, maybe that, maybe people aren't actually saying that, but it's being built up as if it's the greatest movie of all time. No, people are like saying it is the best movie they've ever seen in their life. I'm like, I feel like you could go through the Rolodex just a little bit yeah. and find a better movie than Top. But we we just looked it up back here. It's releasing on uh, Paramount Plus, which I don't have. I'm probably gonna have to get it. On July 11th, so they are, Ooh. yeah, they've pushed it back a little bit. Because remember when Batman came out in theaters, it was a month later yeah. than they released it on uh, HBO Max. So uh, then I'll just wait. Yeah, I wasn't gonna, pl- I wasn't planning on seeing it in theaters anyways. But you're telling me in four weeks it's gonna, I'll be able to watch it from home. I'm in no rush to watch Top Gun. <laughs> I'll watch it for free when it's streaming. Paramount Plus, I, I don't have, but. I will because they have the offer on there, Ooh. which is the show about the making of The Godfather, and I have to watch that. So uh, I'll do it all together and watch them all together at once. They give you like a free seven-day trial, too. So I'll just bunker down <laughs> for a week and binge the show and watch the movie, and boom, we're good to go. Takes a vacation time just to knock <laughs> yeah. it out. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I can't work this week. I only have three days left in my Paramount Plus free trial, and I have to finish <laughs> the end of the offering. And I have to watch this Top Gun Maverick. Appreciate the time for Anna. Check out uh, Cinephile Podcast. He's uh, he's not a radio guy, not in terms of the the uh, medium. I'm talking about the uh, the movie, radio, which may rub people the wrong way in this state. Doesn't like that film. 
Hey, when, in regards to baseball, I was getting into this a little bit before Adnan joined us, and then we were talking about, uh, talking about uh, some baseball stuff with Adnan as well. What's interesting, as I said, when you look it up, the four teams that have played the most opponents with a losing record are the four teams that have the best record on the AL, oddly enough. And that's the um, Astros, the Yankees, the Twins, all lead their divisions, and then the Tampa Bay Rays as well. They're tied with Toronto for the most wins of a wildcard team in the AL. So the four teams that have essentially, you could say, played the easiest schedules, they played the most losing teams so far this year. Like, for example, the Astros have played 60 games. 45 of the 60 games have been against teams under 500. They have played 15 games against teams with a winning record, the Astros. And they're in a terrible division, so they're going to continue to play bad teams all year long. But I am intrigued that you look at the, the four teams with the best records in the AL, they've played maybe the four easiest schedules. And you know baseball's a long season, and things change, so I'm curious to see. That's not to take anything away from the Yankees, uh, but the Yankees, um, the uh, New York Mets, for example, I saw this stat. I'll throw another stat at you. The Mets have won more games against teams over 500 than the Yankees have played. So the Mets, without their two aces, they're in first place. The Braves are, are catching up to them, uh, but they've beaten some good teams. The Yankees have this incredible run. They've gone 37-10 and 10 in their last 47 games, but they've beaten up on a lot of bad teams. Now they play 13 straight games against teams with winning records over the next two weeks and 21 of their next 26. So we'll get a real good sense over the next month, right, if they play like 500 balls, say, if they win even like uh, 60% of the games, if they come down from this rapid pace they're playing at, which you know at some point they're going to go through a little bit of a, a down streak. Like the Dodgers right now are under 500 last two weeks. Everybody goes through a rough patch. Braves started the year with a rough patch. But uh, I'm curious to see. It's a, we're, gonna, we're in for a long summer in Major League Baseball. I've been very intrigued by this baseball season. Maybe you haven't been paying a ton of attention yet or just watching the Braves. But I think there's been some fun storylines. There's some really good teams. The Yankees, the Mets, the Padres, the Dodgers are all playing high-end baseball. Here come the Braves. Uh, we've already had a couple of managers fired. The Phillies are playing better. I think uh, the baseball season has been really interesting so far, as interesting as it can be in early June because we still have over 100 games to go. We're not even halfway through yet, but I think it's been a lot of fun. The Braves are playing great baseball. They're catching up to the Mets, and the Braves are another one of those teams. They've beaten up on bad teams during this winning streak, but that's what you have to do. You have to take advantage of the bad teams, and uh, we'll see. The Braves will have a real test at the end of this month in about two weeks when they take on, uh, I think it's the Giants and the Dodgers on a a week-long trip there, so... Uh, we'll get a real good sense of the Braves coming up at the end of the month as well. What do you do against the good teams? That's obviously the, the real sign of a good team in Major League Baseball. There's a lot of bad teams in Major League Baseball, and there's a lot of teams beating up on those bad teams that can cushion their record. So I'm curious about the Yankees these next two weeks. We'll see about the Braves. They'll really be tested in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's when you find out what these teams really are made of. Appreciate the time from Adnan. When we come back, speaking of baseball, the most impressive thing that Tennessee baseball did this year and we have a champion, a baseball champion in the state. We'll get to that next. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. We're set to have a wide-open College World Series. Get to that here on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Plus, we have a champion in the state. 
when it comes to baseball. Appreciate the time. Last segment from Adnan Verk uh, joining us from MLB Network to talk movies and to talk uh, about um, Major League Baseball, too, and what's been going on so far through the first about two months of season. Okay. My Apple Watch is talking to me. Ugh. Enough. Um, College World Series. I don't know what it was saying. You know, technology. I was thinking about this the other day when it comes to technology, and I forget what it was about. But we were having a conversation about, you know, this technology is not, uh, it's not always the best thing. You know, like, uh, for example, in the music world, I love Phil Collins as a drummer. And then they came up with these drum machines, and Phil Collins is using a drum machine on all his hits in the 80s. It may have been easier, but sometimes technology, right, you still appreciate the old thing. And I was going to use that in some sort of sports uh, thing. I don't remember what it was, but I was having that conversation with somebody yesterday and relating it to sports. Anyways, now i got my Apple Watch talking to me. It's throwing me off. I forgot what I was going to say. Technology. Crazy. Uh, the College World Series. Tennessee got knocked out yesterday. The number one seed was upset by Notre Dame. They, they, they got swept. They lost both games. And so Notre Dame's going to the College World Series, right, the final eight in the College World Series for the first time since 2002. Tennessee, the one seed, they're done. And you also have, I think it's Oklahoma going for the first time in a number of years. We're going to have a wide-open College World Series because Tennessee was viewed as the heavy favorite. And yet, their season's over with. Now, historically, when we get down to the final eight, as we're doing here with the final games today, and then you head to what they call the College World Series, right, which is once you get to the last eight, 75% of those teams are made up of one seeds. 75%. So typically, on average, six of the eight teams um, are uh, you know top seeds. And Tennessee will not be going. The number one seed overall has not won the national title in something like over 20 years. So the, the favorite usually doesn't finish the job, from what I read, and that's the case with Tennessee this year. Now, the most impressive thing Tennessee accomplished this year, because they did have a great year. They set all sorts of records. They scored the second most runs all time. They're going to put a bunch of guys in the Major League Baseball draft this year and beyond. They set a bunch of offensive records. They had a great record. They blew out a bunch of teams. Most impressive thing that Tennessee did all year, they made Notre Dame likable. Everybody was pulling for Notre Dame this past weekend. And I think that's more impressive than anything Tennessee did on the baseball field, that Tennessee made themselves so unlikable by flipping the bird on the field and the bat flips and just the obnoxious nature and they were not very uh, humble throughout their success this year, and they're drawing with umpires, and guys are getting kicked out of games, and they're talking trash, and they're obnoxious, that for the first time maybe ever, the general sports population was pulling for Notre Dame. If you're not a Notre Dame fan, you probably hate Notre Dame. You never root for Notre Dame unless you're a Notre Dame fan. And in this case, everybody wanted Notre Dame to win. Even, uh, you know, a lot of times SEC fans will root for other SEC schools. Not the case here. Everybody was against Tennessee. So props to them. They had a great year. They didn't get far enough, but they did make Notre Dame likable, and uh, that's uh, maybe their largest accomplishment. But now it opens things up in the College World Series. We'll see what happens moving forward. I hope my UConn Huskies will be there. we got a winner-take-all game coming up, UConn and Stanford, at 4 p.m. this afternoon. So that's what I'll be doing. That'll be my pregame for Game 5 of the NBA Finals. Hopefully my Huskies will uh, punch their ticket to the College World Series and join the other, so far, six teams in that final field. And speaking of baseball champions, we had one here in the state. Props go out to North Greenville, who won the national championship at the Division II level Friday night with their victory. 
led by former Gamecock Landon Powell, who has done a fantastic job as the head coach there and was uh, the guy I said that if the Gamecocks do make a move this offseason, that's who you should call to come be your coach. Landon Powell has said that uh, that would be the one job he would leave for, uh, would it go be the coach of the Gamecocks. And uh, he, did, he did a heck of a job to win this national championship. When he took over at North Greenville, and it's been about eight years now, they were winning single-digit games. And then quickly by, like, year two, right now they're winning, they were winning over 30 games. They're having great years. And if you go and you look at his records, I mean, North Green, they've become a powerhouse under Landon Powell. And now they took that final step to become champions. Here was uh, an emotional Landon Powell after the game just talking about the emotions, the feelings of winning that championship, hugging his wife after, uh, after the game, and appreciating the little things. Here is the now national champion head coach, Landon Powell. Yeah, I mean, um, the wives are unsung heroes for college baseball coaches. You know, um, my, my kids, my wife, they suffer because I'm always coaching. And with these guys, you spend a ton of time. And, um, you know, luckily at the Division II level and, and where I'm at at North Greenville, I have more freedom than most coaches. I get to coach my son's travel ball team on the weekends and do some other things because we have Sundays off being a Christian school. Um, but, you know, my wife, is a, she's been a tremendous supporter of me ever since we started dating freshman year of college. She's been with me th- through thick and thin and a lot of great moments and a lot of really tough moments. And, um, you know, one thing that I've learned in my career or my life is to cherish the great moments because there are bad ones coming for all of us. There's ad- adversity coming for all of us. Um, and that makes the great moments that much more special. So that was a really great moment to hug her. And she deserves it. And uh, I-, I love her, and I'm proud, I'm proud to have her support. Landon Powell. Friday night after winning the national championship. Yeah, I think that's a good message, right? Appreciate the good times because uh, those always seem to be fleeting and we all deal with tough times throughout life. So you had to appreciate the good times even more. And boy, I'm sure was that a good time for those at North Greenville winning. By the way, how about that, right? He still, he coaches a college baseball team, wins the national championship, and he still has time to be coaching his kids' baseball team on the weekends. Props to Landon Powell, double dipping, coaching two different teams. And now a national champion with one. We'll see uh, if and when Landon takes that next step for some sort of bigger job. You may remember he reached out. He wanted uh, he was trying to become the assistant for Mark Kingston uh, last year when they had a couple of uh, spots to replace on that staff. I think Landon Powell, right, that's, that's the other name to watch, at least in these parts. He's due for a, a bigger job eventually, and he's done a heck of a job at North Greenville. So congrats to them on winning the national championship. You can always join the conversation, 843-721-9500. Let's go to the phones. Alan is with us. Alan, what's going on? How are you? Hey, Luke. How you doing, man? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia right now. I've been listening to your show all last week, and it was fantastic. I just wanted to let you know that we're coming back to Charleston right now, and you you, you inspire us to listen more to your show every single day. So thank you for doing that. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. That means the world. I appreciate those kind words. Absolutely. And also, I would like to talk Braves baseball. Yeah. 11, 11 straight wins for the Braves going to Washington tonight. What do you think? I, I think the uh, chances are pretty high. They continue that winning streak against the Nationals, but you have to take advantage. Uh, certainly this is a series you should win the series and uh, continue to take advantage of when you play these bad teams, these are the games you have to win, which is what they've been doing during this winning streak. So can they win their 12th straight tonight? Absolutely. Um, but I think absolutely that they, you, know, you, you win the series uh, against uh, Washington and continue to move forward playing good baseball. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Luke, for your time. We appreciate you. Great listening to you. Hey, well, I appreciate you. Thank you for the kind words. Thank you for listening. Appreciate the call. 
Thank you to Alan. Listening in Atlanta. Appreciate you taking us with you. You can always join the conversation, 843-721-9500. And you can always take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Plenty of options. Stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com or through TuneIn Radio. Your smart speaker, if you're somewhere with a smart speaker out of town, or download the free app. Search ESPN Charleston in the App Store. And you can listen to the show through the app anywhere in the world, live or on demand. Appreciate you, Alan. Yeah, it's hard to predict right on a game-to-game basis in baseball. But you would assume that the Braves could continue the winning streak against the Nationals tonight. And if uh, nothing else, eventually you're going to have to lose at some point. So if that happens tonight, uh, you know, if you're the Braves, you just win the series, as they should. The Nationals are pretty pitiful. And they um, are one of of the worst teams in baseball. When we come back, Trent's takes. The Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up a little bit later on, we'll break down Adam Sandler's new movie. Don't worry, we'll avoid, to the best of our ability, the big spoilers at the end. But it's a sports movie, so it's one of those, it's not like some sort of twist movie, right? It's a pretty straightforward film. We'll break it down for you. We'll we'll let you know if it's worth watching or not. Streaming on Netflix, a new basketball film, Hustle with Adam Sandler. We'll get to that next hour. We'll get back to the NBA Finals as well. Uh, unfortunately for Deshaun Watson and the Browns, more bad news there. We'll get to all that coming up. But we do it around this time each and every day. It's time to find out what's on the mind of the producer. It's time for Trent's Takes. What's on the mind of the Morrow Midday Show producer? Draft Luke Morrow. That's Panthers. right. It's time for Trent's Takes. The radio cowboy will be coming, and he's coming soon, folks. Luke, before we get into some sporting news topics, I would like to reiterate uh, my incredibly horrible day on the course yesterday. It was abysmal. Now, I was trying to break it down on why I did so bad. I was in a new environment, new course. Maybe that threw me off. A lot of wide open space. Didn't know where the ball was. The ball was, I always make contact, Luke. And usually it was going straight the last couple weeks. This time it was curving right every single mm-hmm. time. Now, I don't know if that was because I had a little bit too much fun before the oh. uh, the golf outing and potentially during the golf outing. It was also incredibly hot. I have no idea. But Road to the Live Golf Tour is still continuing. We are still hot on the trail, and we will not stop until I shoot a well enough score to be able to get into live golf, which probably be 30 years from now, but I won't stop folks. I won't stop, but an abysmal day on the course, Luke, a bit. It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. You never know. Live golf tour may be uh, desperate enough just to, you know, get some bodies to fill that yeah. tour. Maybe a producer on local radio yeah, could, why be, not? Uh, could be a draw for them. Absolutely. We, uh, <laughs> we'll build that brand, and then, uh, you know, you become a real asset for them. Yeah, well, I wouldn't mind it. Luke wouldn't mind it whatsoever. Yeah. Now, I would like to point out, game four of the uh, NBA Finals. I can go back to my uh, Trent's takes from the day before because I hit my uh, I hit my um, player props, if you will. Oh. My, predictions, my predictions became correct. Uh, Steph Curry over four and a half threes. I also took his points as well. Andrew Wiggins hit. It was a good night. It was a good night overall and an amazing game of basketball, even though some people in this office disagree that it was an amazing (laughs) game. 
It was a phenomenal basketball yeah. game, Luke, and I expect just the same from tonight. So, with that being said, I got a couple things for tonight. I am Let's not go. I'm not taking the number, Luke, once again because the number makes me nervous. It's been at 4 basically every single, you know, game this series and I never know which way to lean because it usually isn't a close game towards the end one of the teams ends up pulling away so i'm gonna stay away from the number but this one might shock you here luke tonight jason tatum over 27 and a half points he's gonna have a big game it's gonna happen he'll probably go for 30 i'll also say oh jordan pool as well hit jordan pool on um uh, trent stakes on friday uh, no big deal Jordan Poole, once again, over 12 and a half. It's been sitting at 12 and a half this entire series. He keeps hitting the over. I absolutely love it. Let's go with Jordan Poole over. And this one, this one might throw you off a little bit. Al Horford over one and a half three-pointers. I think Ooh. Al gets going from deep tonight, especially late in the ball game. So I'd take Tatum's over, Poole's over, and Al Horford over one and a half threes. He's just got to hit two. The big Lummox can hit two. There's no doubt about it. I think he can hit those shots pumped up for game five tonight luke how you feeling about my props going into uh tonight's ball game i certainly agree with you on tatum yeah. i think tatum bounces back because he's averaged something like 30 points following losses so he's very good coming off a loss i imagine especially the way he disappeared in that second half i think he'll come out a little inspired tonight yeah so i agree with you on tatum pool is always a bit of a crap shoot it's a low enough number he should be able to hit it but we've seen games where he kind of like disappears yeah uh this final seems to be maybe a little too big right it's the peter principle you always hit your ceiling he's had a good postseason but this finals has um he's disappeared at times and then horford us i i don't know you know he obviously played well in uh game one out there you know when it uh, comes to the matchups I like that the Warriors, they bench Draymond. You, you lose, you use a little bit more of Looney. If you're the Celtics, what you could do is if you take Robert Williams off the floor and Horford's your big guy, right? You go small, you're going to have to pull Looney. He's not going to want to play on the perimeter. My point being, if those are the matchups, if Looney's playing more, Draymond not as much. If I'm the Celtics, I may put Robert Williams on the bench a little bit and have Horford be the number five. Looney matches up with him, and then that would lead to Horford playing on the perimeter mm. more, which could then lead to more three-point opportunities, hopefully hitting your one-and-a-half over. So, hey, you nailed him on Friday, Yeah. so I'll take my chances that uh, we can have another good night tonight. I'll, I'll, take, uh, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt with these picks because he did so well last time. Well, thank you, Luke, and also thank you for breaking that down in a much more intellectual way than <laughs> I could have. So I greatly appreciate you, sir. It's like my movie reviews. Playing good, playing bad, pal. That's all I need to know. I'm a feel, I'm a feel guy. Yeah. I'm a feel guy. That's just what That's it is. That's the way to go. I don't need the analytics. I'm a feel guy, Luke. How are we feeling on the court now? I will say, we have some news, and I'm not sure you kind of hinted at it. I'm not sure if we're going to be talking about this in a little bit, but I would like to point out, that 48 hours ago, the odds, I keep bringing them up for the AFC North. It's very interesting yes. because we've had a massive shift over the last 48 hours. So, you know, two days ago, the odds for the AFC North, Ravens plus 200, Browns plus 200, Bengals plus 210. Absolutely perplexed me. Couldn't understand it. Now, as of today, Luke, Ravens plus 160, Bengals plus 200, the Browns plus 270. So what do the odds makers know that we don't know? Now, they might be projecting that they believe a suspension will be coming, but we know these people know what they're talking about. So I'm very intrigued because we haven't seen this kind of odds move basically the entire offseason with any other teams. This is a first time, and that's a big shift to go from plus 200 to plus 270. So what do the odds makers know that we don't know the public currently? 
Yeah, it's a good question. I, it may not even be anything that we don't right. know. They may see all this information coming out and think, like, this is bad. Something's, you know, the NFL is going to have to do something severe, which is what I've been saying. This is bad, all this, uh, these new things coming out. And there's a new one from over the weekend that I'll touch on in a few moments. But how about the fact that not only for the division, the Browns, right, all odds also have a correlating percentage, if you do the math. Based off of the Vegas odds, they're giving the Browns less than a 50% chance of even making the playoffs now wow. with these odd changes. So Vegas is down on Cleveland because of, I assume, this latest information on Deshaun. And I think a lot of people are starting to come around to this idea of, yeah, you know what, we may not see Deshaun play at all this year because that New York Times piece, uh, you know, we have other women speaking out, more lawsuits. Uh, things have gotten worse before they have gotten any better for Deshaun and the Browns right now. Yeah, no doubt about it. Now, Luke, I would also like to address something that you and I uh, off-air spoke about briefly. Um, Devontae Adams went on a press conference with the Las Vegas Raiders, I believe Thursday or Friday. We saw the clip, I I believe, late Friday. Didn't really get into it because I was a little perplexed, right? But then I realized, okay, Tyreek Hill goes on a podcast, and he says that Tua's accuracy is much better than Patrick Mahomes, 10 times better, the quote was. Devontae Adams also said about Derek Carr that he is comparable talent-wise to the great Aaron Rodgers four-time MVP Super Bowl champion. Now, I would like to just throw out some research that I did real quick, you know, if that's okay with you, Luke. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has been a starter in the NFL for 14 seasons, has thrown 93 interceptions. That blows my mind. Derek Carr has been a starter in the NFL for seven seasons now, so half of what Aaron Rodgers, and has 85 interceptions. So if we're talking about just pure talent and accuracy, there's no way to compare them. But then I said, Trent, take your heart out of it, all right? Let's think about what these guys are saying. What do you expect Devontae Adams to go up there and say about his new quarterback when he just played with one of the all-time greats for his entire career? He's not going to say, well, I mean, he's not even close to Aaron Rodgers, but hey, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be playing with my college buddy. No, he's going to gas him up. Same thing with Tua. Tua's going to, I mean, uh, excuse me, Tyreek about Tua. Tyreek's going to talk about Tua to everybody like he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. We all see the tape. We understand now. Can Tua have a massive improvement with a guy like Tyreek Hill on the roster? I'm sure it won't, you know, it won't hurt him having him on the roster. But these guys are going to say what they need to say. They're not going to come out and bash the quarterback of a team that just paid them $140 million to come. Let's not be fools. No, you cannot compare Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr. They're not in the same boat, not in the same stratosphere, Luke. But these comments, they're just gassing their boys up. Love is blind, Luke. Love is blind. If you love these guys, you're going to talk about them at the uh, highest ranks. But I don't think Derek Carr and Tua right now are Hall of Famers, if you ask me. So let's not put them in the same category as other Hall of Famers. That Patrick Mahomes, uh, likely Patrick Mahomes, will be a Hall of Famer. I think there's no doubt about that. And Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I think the real test would be, like, if we swap quarterbacks, right? If you put Carr in the Packers right now, would they still be favored to win the division? I don't think so. If you put Rodgers on the Raiders, their odds would probably go up uh, for this year. We know Rodgers is the better quarterback. I think, see, Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill are different in this situation because Devontae was answering a question. Tyreek Hill was on a podcast. I think he just brought it up on his own. Right. That's not necessary. You don't need to do that. Uh, Devontae, at least, he was answering a question. I would say, though, while both guys are trying to be good teammates, I think the political response is probably most appropriate. And if I was Devontae and somebody asked me that question, I would just say – you know, some lame answer about how I'm not going to compare a quarterback. Yeah, he's Say a great like quarterback. That. You, you yeah. know, we played together for a long time. We have a chemistry and all that. But you don't need to say, like, well, as far as a talent perspective right. goes, he's on the same level because I think outside of the uh, Packers haters in the world, which they are a ton of them, 
Uh, people, majority, yes, is someone was sitting behind the glass right there with a <laughs> microphone. Yeah. But you would say, as an honest football fan, that there is no way that you could compare those two. There's just zero no. way. No, so, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't do so. He's trying to be a good guy. Carr's yeah. a friend of his, but, uh, you know, try to give some sort of political answer and try to move on. Yeah, Twitter Warriors, just a PSA. Just take it easy on trying to compare all these guys and thinking that they actually – I'm not saying Devontae Adams doesn't mean what he said, but there's no way in his mind that he actually believes that. Like, if so, if so, like, we'll check the numbers at the end of this season and see what's up. Like, that that's my only thing. As you said, you know, love is blind. Devontae is, you know, good friends with cars, so maybe yeah. he does. I don't know. Maybe he does actually think something like that, but, you know, you don't need to put it out there. I always say that about these coaches, and the, the example that always comes to mind is when Will Muschamp, I think it was the year he got fired, said, like, this is the most talented team, unprompted, right? This is the most talented team we've had. You don't need to say things like this because then it just puts more pressure. Like You're not being forced to, to say that type of thing. Devontae Adams, you don't need to say Derek Carr is on the same level because this year if you start off 2-4 and four and you know Devontae has one touchdown and Carr is struggling, you know, everyone's going to point back to that and throw it in your face and say, like, oh, I thought you said he's just as good as Aaron Rodgers. You don't need to uh, – I know he's trying to be a good guy, build up his teammate, but uh, you don't need to offer up certain things because then it's just it's going to come back to bite you. Give like as little information as you need to so that people don't have something to point to down the road. We talk about that with uh, Dabo all the time, and not harping on Clemson here in Dabo because Paul Feinbaum surely did his part. Yeah. But, I mean, after every single practice, and I've said it before on Fan Talk and others, like, it's DJ had the best practice we've ever seen at Clemson. He's throwing balls at Trevor Kane. It's like, how about we, you know, temper those expectations so the guy's, you know, going out on the field and throwing 100 yards, and we're thinking, oh, well, he's the worst quarterback, uh, you know, in Clemson history because we're being told otherwise, you know, during these press conferences. I was just thinking about that this morning because there's a headline that says uh, how Matt Ryan is reminding the Colts of Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning. Oh, okay. All right. So same idea. I know you want to pump up the tires of your guy, but come on. Don't compare Matt Ryan to Peyton Manning. 38-year-old Matt Ryan with a new team (laughs) for the first time in his career. Comparing him to Peyton Manning and then with Matt Ryan this year, right, when the team's uh, under 500 and he has as many interceptions as touchdowns, people just throw that in your face. I know Frank Reich's trying to be a good guy. You know, get his quarterback excited and talk uh, talk him up. But what are you doing? You're just setting them up to fail. We'll wrap up Hour 2 next. It's the Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Wrapping up Hour 2 of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. We were talking last segment about how the Browns' odds have really shifted in Vegas. And even if you're not a gambler, Vegas is a great indicator of maybe what you could expect or things to come or just how they're viewing things. And there's a great um, correlation between the two of, of, you know, I mean, Vegas, they continue to build casinos and tall buildings in the desert for a reason. Uh, They know what they're doing. So the Browns' odds are really shrinking, and I think just out of a fear of what the future may hold for Deshaun Watson and Cleveland. We got more, I guess you could say, troubling news over the weekend when a uh, a police detective, a Houston police detective, testified. This information was released this weekend. She testified that she believes Deshaun Watson committed crimes after investigating 10 criminal complaints against him. She also expressed her opinion to the Harris County District Attorney's Office 
but she was not called to testify before the grand jury and doesn't know why the grand jury did not indict the Cleveland Browns quarterback on criminal charges. She said she believed Watson committed uh, criminal indecent assault, sexual assault, and prostitution in cases where money was exchanged and there was consensual sex. They asked her, did you feel confident that you had the evidence needed to pursue the charges? She said yes. They then said, there was no doubt in your mind as the investigation officer that a crime had occurred? And she said no, no doubt. And uh, there's a lot more. USA Today has the story. A lot more from her testimony, but she was pretty confident after investigation that Deshaun did something wrong and was surprised that she was not brought into, you know, the, there was no indictment. She wasn't included. It was just kind of swept away, unfortunately. And uh, that's the latest in this whole Deshaun situation. Hour three next. WTMZ 98.9 FM, WTMZ 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Yes, back, 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 back again. Shady back, back, back. Tell a friend, friend, friend. Guess who's back? Final hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up. We get ready for the NBA Finals with Game 5 coming up tonight. Plus, we give our breakdown, speaking of basketball, of the new sports movie, Hustle. Adam Sandler's basketball film that's out on Netflix now if you haven't seen it already. We'll give our thoughts on that. And uh, plus, also, we'll probably touch just to spend a moment on the Stanley Cup in the NHL because uh, it's pretty interesting what's going on in hockey, especially if you haven't been paying attention do hockey just yet we'll get to that coming up plenty more to do here in the final hour and the biggest storyline from uh, game four of the nba finals that doesn't have to actually do with any of the shots being made get to that coming up if you ever miss anything from the show catch on demand just search espn radio charleston however you listen to your podcast and you can always get in touch with the show online at charlestonsportsradio.com click on our show page leave a comment for the show there on twitter at Morrow Middays. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734, or join the conversation on the phones, 843-721-9500. Uh, we're going to talk a little Hollywood coming up with Sandler's new movie, Hustle. Unfortunately, I just saw some sad news out of Hollywood that uh, the great actor, Philip Baker Hall, passed away last night at the age of 90. Now, if you're not familiar with the name, as soon as you Google him, you'll recognize him. He's been in so many movies over the years. Good actor. He was in Boogie Nights. I know him, of course, from Seinfeld. He was a bookman. He was the detective at the library trying to track down overdue books in Seinfeld way back when. Uh, he was in The Zodiac. He's been in everything. Um, so he was almost 91, a few months shy of 91, uh, passed away last night. Great actor, though. He was in Argo. That's a good film. Uh, and uh, always was a, he was a good character actor. So anyways... We'll talk about the new basketball film coming up, but Philip Baker Hall, that's the big, the breaking news out of Hollywood, unfortunately passed away um, overnight at uh, age 90. 
Um, with that, transitioning to the NBA Finals Game 4 from Friday. By the way, the Morrow Midday Show has really nailed the NBA Finals, if I do say so myself. We talked about it last hour, but Trent nailed the player props for Game 4. Keep your fingers crossed. Knock on wood. Hopefully it continues tonight with Game 5. And uh, we were both on the Warriors winning. They won. They covered. Uh, they won outright. They were an underdog. They won outright. And um, just along the way, the one thing I've gotten wrong was I thought the Warriors would, would win game one. After that, on the show of the four games, I've been three and one in terms of uh, the, the spread. Here's an interesting trend. We'll break down game four, a preview game five in a moment. Uh, here's an interesting uh, trend for those that may be interested when it comes to the NBA Finals. Since 2011, so it's a pretty large sample size, when the point spread is six points or fewer, the outright, the outright winner of the NBA Finals game has covered the spread 67 consecutive times. So what does that mean? Well, let's break it down. When the point spread is six points or fewer, whoever wins the game covers the spread. So what that means is, for example, tonight, the Warriors are favored by four. If you think the Warriors are going to win the game tonight, you might as well take them to cover the spread. Because a team favored by four has not won by less than four in over 11 years in the NBA Finals. The flip side is, if you think the Celtics are going to win tonight, or if you like the Celtics plus four, just take them to win outright. Because, again, same idea. We haven't had a, a game under four points when a team's favored by four, if you get what I'm saying. Right? So the team that wins the NBA Finals, they're 66-0-1 against the spread when it's less than six points since 2011. So if you think the favorite's going to win, just take them to cover. And if you like the underdog with the points, just take them to win outright because that's usually what's going to happen. So if you're a betting man, there's uh, my little advice tonight. If you like the Celtics, just take them to win outright. Forget the four. And if you like the Warriors, don't forget the money line. Just bet them with the better odds to cover the four. Anyways, game four was Friday night. The Warriors even the series. And it was all because of Steph Curry's phenomenal performance. Let me bust out my, my uh, tears of clutchness once again. It's something that I often refer to on the Morrow Midday Show especially when we talk about moments like this. And the top tier are the greatest to ever do it, and they get even better in the big spots. Think Michael Jordan and Mariano Rivera. The next tier would be great players that become all-time greats in big moments. Kurt Schilling and Fernando Valenzuela, a couple of pitchers that come to mind. Then you have great players that continue to be great. Kobe Bryant, Derek Jeter, they were just consistent. Then you have the not really good players, but they were really clutch in big moments. And that'd be like Eli Manning and Nick Foles and in baseball, Louis Soho. And then at the very bottom, the lowest level of clutch, you have good players, maybe even great players, that disappear in the big spots, that don't come through when you need them. And for a long time, that was Peyton Manning, and then he finally won a couple of Super Bowls. Right, Alex Rodriguez, even a Paul George has that reputation of coming up small in the big spots. And Greg Maddox kind of has that reputation. Now, Maddox pitched well in the playoffs, but his numbers were better in the regular season than they were in the, reg in the, than, than in the postseason. Still pitched pretty well. Still a good pitcher in the playoffs, but was always better in the regular season than the playoffs. Guys that were great players, but when you needed them most in the big spots, they didn't always come through for you. And that's what makes a great player. It's not so much what you do in the regular season or even necessarily what you do in the first round. Jason Tatum and the Celtics, right? they swept Kevin Durant in the first round. That's all great. When you play poorly in the NBA Finals, 
that's what we will remember more than what you did against an eight seed in the first round. And so I reiterate my levels of clutchness because as I look back at game four and I see what Curry did in the second half and I see what Jason Tatum did in the second half, to me that's the big difference. Now look, Curry is more experienced. He's played in more of these games. He's had a better career. Maybe it should be expected. But if you're going to feed me the superstar conversation about Jason Tatum, then I would say he needs to perform like a fellow superstar, Steph Curry. And if you're going to tell me also that Steph Curry still has something to prove and he needs that MVP in order to uh, solidify his resume or his accomplishments, well, then I think Curry answered the call really throughout the series, but especially in Game 4, and Jason Tatum did not. He did not step up to the plate when everybody's been pumping him up as one of the best players in the league. And in that second half of Game 4, that was the difference, right? Steph Curry, for a lot of the, the second half, took over. I mean, he was great. Scored 43 points, did it on the road with the team's backs against the ropes, trailing in the series, coming off a bit of an ankle injury the game prior, goes out there, scores 43 points, was fantastic. And on the flip side, Jason Tatum kind of disappeared. On his home floor, a chance to put away the NBA Finals for all intents and purposes. And the Warriors outscored the Celtics by 15 in the second half in Boston. Curry scored another 20 points in the second half, and Jason Tatum made two baskets after halftime. That's the big difference between the two. Tatum shows the potential. He has flashes, plays well after a loss. It's like a shutdown pitcher in baseball. Team's on a losing streak, and you got to turn to your ace, and hopefully he can shove for a few innings and carry you to a much-needed victory. Tatum has that type of uh, personality, or at least has shown that in the postseason this year. When they lose and they need to come back with a better performance, right? he, he goes out there and he plays well, averaging over 30 points after a loss. But he has not played well in the second half of the playoffs. He's not shot well in the fourth quarter. And when the Celtics were looking for their star in game four, because this time of year, it's about the stars. You can't rely on Al Horford scoring 26. Game four of the NBA Finals, you're leading in the second half at home. Right, Jason Tatum has to make the plays. He made two baskets in the second half. The Warriors outscored the Celtics by 15, and Steph Curry went for 43. Third, third most points in a Finals victory since Jordan. Uh, Curry was like one of, I think it's 15 players, maybe even fewer than that, that actually scored over 42 points in a finals game ever. And in terms of guys who have done it on the road, second half of an NBA finals, right, games four through seven, on the road, scoring over 40 points, not a lot of guys that have done that either, especially in a win like Steph Curry did on Friday. That was one of the better performances we've seen in the finals in years. Again, third most points scored in a finals victory in the last 25 years. The other two were Iverson, the one game that the Sixers won in the finals 20 years ago. He went for 48 points in game one and was fantastic, but then the Sixers got swept after that. It was a gentleman sweep. And Giannis had 50 points last year as they went on to win, and that was a remarkable performance. And then you have Steph Curry, Friday night. And especially if the Warriors go on to win this series, I mean, that was the turning point. You lose that game, you lose the series. You're down 3-1. I don't care if you're heading back home. You're done. Now the Warriors win that game. Suddenly they become the favorites once again. They're favored in Vegas now to finish out this series. And game five tonight at home, of course, will be huge. But it's a remarkable game Friday night from Curry. Look, he got some help finally. Clay Thompson had some big threes. Uh, Andrew Wiggins was fantastic. He had a career-high number of rebounds. Not postseason career high, career high for any game he's ever played. I thought he played really well. 
finally uh, used his athleticism, his length, his size on the glass. He, he could do a very good job rebounding. Doesn't always do it. He did uh, Friday night. Draymond Green is pretty worthless out there. Seems like at this point he's kind of in his head. He didn't want to shoot the ball in the second half Friday night, kept passing it. They benched him at the end of the game. I thought rightfully so. They used Looney more, which was good. I've been calling for more playing time. He's played well. But Steph Curry, of course, is the big story. He was fantastic. On the flip side, Jason Tatum, not so much. Now let's hear from J.J. Redick uh, this morning from Get Up as he was talking about both guys. First for Steph Curry, it's funny. Regardless of what Curry has accomplished, people are still saying, right, we need that defining moment. We need that NBA Finals MVP for Steph Curry. Was Friday night a defining moment for Curry? Here's what Redick said this morning. I absolutely think so. And, and when you look at the context of this, the Warriors essentially being out of this stage for two years, him not winning a finals MVP yet, and clearly being the best player in this series. And then the context of going against this Celtics defense, which as we know was the number one defense in the league this season, and looked so stout through three rounds of the playoffs so far. And what he's done against this defense is nothing short of remarkable. And I just want to comment on that Clay Thompson quote, which I love. And what Clay is talking about there is competitive stamina. And to me, that's what separates the greats from the all-time greats. And Steph has competitive stamina in spades. That was Redick this morning about Steph Curry. Yeah, I made the case Friday even before game four. I said if this game, if this series goes seven games, Curry's my MVP, win or lose. That's how good he's been. He's scoring twice as many points as any of his teammates, and the highest scorer on the Celtics is Jalen Brown, uh, less than 22. Curry's at 34. He's been far and away the best player. He's been the most consistent player this series. He's, um, if he, you know, when he gets help around them, that's when they win, like game four. But otherwise, Steph Curry is kind of a man amongst boys with the way he's been playing. He's shooting 50% from beyond the arc, and you know, a Steph Curry three is not a normal three. He had a couple of threes Friday that should have been and ones. They weren't blowing the whistle. Got knocked down, still made the shots. That Friday night performance uh, was truly remarkable from Steph Curry on the road in the finals. Game five tonight, obviously it's the huge swing game. And for the Celtics, you got to get more out of Jason Tatum. You know Steph Curry, their star is going to show up. Your star, if you're Boston, needs to show up. Here is J.J. Redick, and then you'll hear from Vince Carter in the second half of this clip, breaking down Jason Tatum and what he needs to do moving forward to be that star for the Celtics starting with game five tonight. It's actually pretty simple. He just needs to make some two-pointers. He's been awful shooting two-pointers in this series. And I think some of it is taking advantage of his size. Some of it is slowing down and just making the right read. At -hmm. times, I think he's getting sped up and he's driving into no man's land with no real plan. You you, you know, that graphic showed his second half numbers. How about the fourth quarter? Mm. He's four for 16 in the fourth quarter in this series just really poor play on the offensive end shooting the basketball for him in the second half in this series Vince uh, what advice coming out of halftime does Jason need to take to actually change this momentum Uh, I mean JJ said it aggressive aggressive getting to the into the uh, well close to the basket working working your way inside out you know, don't settle for those tough twos and, and slow down a little bit. You know, sometimes being aggressive now, setting someone else up will help you maybe two or three plays later because they've seen that play before and they know you'll make the right play. So for Jason, just be aggressive, but work get, get, get close to the basket first, then work your way out to twos and to the threes. I think sometimes he settled. Uh, a couple of times we saw last game, he saw Bielitsa. He tried to take, take the, the, you know, take him off the dribble 
plays great defense and then settles for a tough two instead of just getting in the paint, maybe getting off the ball because they try to help off of Bielitsa when they see that mismatch. Vince Carter and J.J. Redick this morning breaking things down for Tatum moving forward. Last nine games, Tatum's shooting 38%. In the NBA Finals, he's 2 of 17 from mid-range, and he disappeared in the second half when they needed him most Friday night. Look at the end of the game. He took one shot in the last six minutes. It was a lot of smart, brown, Horford, even white. No, you need your start. Steph Curry on the other side, he's the one taking the shots. They're getting him the ball, specifically. Jason Tatum wasn't taking the shots for Boston. He needs to play better. I imagine he'll play better tonight. But he needs to uh, be that big star if the Celtics want to try to take the lead back in this series. The Warriors are favored by four. Boston's better on the road. They're really good after losses, but we talked last hour about just having that feel, just going with like your gut instinct. My my gut, my feeling is that I think the Warriors win tonight, and the Celtics lose back-to-back games for the first time in weeks. I think the Warriors win tonight and take a 3-2 lead. With how they played uh, Friday, and now they're back home, momentum doesn't seem to be much of a thing in the playoffs, but the Warriors do have any momentum that there may be on their side. The home crowd will be going crazy. They've been here before. We saw the inexperience at the end of Game 4 from Boston. The Celtics are very good in this spot, coming off a loss, especially even having to, having to go on the road. Uh, but I just think the Warriors win again tonight, and Curry gives us another big performance. By the way, as I said, one of the biggest storylines to come out of Game 4 may not have anything to do with any of the shots that were taken on the floor. Instead, it was the shots from the camera of people in the crowd. Trent, did you see this story oh, with no. the Curry uh, parents? Yeah, I, I did, and I read up a little bit on it. Obviously, it's all speculation, right? But if you want to dive into it a little more, Luke, but the evidence between the Curry family and this apparent new family is rather damning. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. If you're not familiar with what we're talking about, I noticed this they because they showed Dell when Steph made a big, I think it was like a three, Steph Curry yeah. made a nice play. They go to the crowd, and they show Dell, and it's like the last two minutes of the game, and he hugs this, this woman that's with him, this blonde-haired woman with him. And I, didn't, I thought, oh, that must be the new girlfriend, which I thought was, it's a little awkward. Like uh, Curry's mom is there with her new boyfriend. Right. Curry's dad is there. They're sitting on like opposite ends. Well, remember remember when uh, he broke the three-point record and they were in Manhattan at Madison right. Square Garden? Yep. Dell had three uh, ladies with That's him, true. and Sonia was with the grandkids. And so it yeah. was it was very interesting dynamic. Yeah, so I didn't think much of it. I just thought, like, oh, that's you know that's the new lady. All right, right. good for Dell. But then the Internet is amazing and what people can do. <laughs> So, long story short, as we get into some a little page six gossip here, like we're TMZ. Yes. Um, you may recall the Curry family, because the Currys were like the all-wholesome basketball family. Everybody loved them. They were at all the games. The parents right, seemed great. Steph Curry seems like a great guy. He's, he loves his parents. They're all family people. Well, anyways, the Currys have gotten divorced, and it got kind of ugly. It was a bit of an ugly divorce, mm-hmm. and they don't seem to be on good terms. So, the reports were that they were both kind of cheating on one another, but Mrs. Curry was with somebody during the marriage and that somebody was Steve Johnson who played briefly in the NFL with the Patriots he was a college he went to college the same time as the Currys did and so he he's known the Currys since college and I think was like friends with Dell I mm. think originally Oof. and now that's the new boyfriend of Mrs. Curry so then fast forward we get to game four of the NBA finals Friday night Mrs. Curry is there or maybe she's going by her maiden name whatever she's being referred to as She's there with her new boyfriend, the Steve Johnson. We then get this shot of Del Curry with his new apparent girlfriend. Again, I thought, ah, oh, nothing much to this, whatever. 
Then those on the Internet found that Del Curry's new girlfriend is the ex-wife of Mrs. Curry's new boyfriend. Whoa. So Whoa. it's like a wife swap, essentially. Yeah, that it's it's strange. It's very strange. And right, when when you see the camera cut, you're just like, oh, that's Del with his new fling. boy, you know, dude, good job. And then Miss Sonia, you know, when you cut to her, it's like, that's her new fling. Oh, that's cool. And then 10 minutes later on Twitter, <laughs> you go to Twitter and they're trending immediately. And people have already found out that these uh, the new new uh, couple had a previous relationship. Yes. So you have two <laughs> divorce couples that then just now are with one another. With the ex-wife and ex-husband, right? You're cross-contaminating here. So now the question becomes, this is what everyone's wondering, and this is the hot talk of Monday here on Sports Talk with everything else going on. Is this Dell just simply trying to get back at mm. those two? Or was there a situation where when they were married, they were already kind of uh, co-mingling with one <sighs> another? Right? Yeah. Maybe a little swinger situation. I don't know. Whoa. And uh, now here we are. <laughs> or is this just simply Dell saying, like, okay, you're going to date him? Well, his ex-wife is available. I'm going to start dating her. Get back at you guys. Well, Luke, I think when, when we look back at the MSG game where Curry broke that record, that was a smack in the mouth to Sonya. Smack mm -hmm. in the mouth. Bringing three ladies, parent, very young model types, yes. you know, to the game, sitting courtside, grandkids in the stands at the opposite end. That's not great. Probably go see your grandkids, yeah. Dale. That might be a better look. And I'll also point out the uh, Curry family used to come to Wild Dunes. Great people, absolutely love all of them. They're awesome, but I would not be surprised if this was a uh, you know swing in the bat type of situation, Luke. That's where I'm kind of leaning towards all of this because we don't know these people got all this kind of money in the world. We we have no idea how they operate, but I would, with my little knowledge of the Curry family and interacting with them, I could see a I could see a, you know swing in a home run here. I think this is Dell just trying to get paid back, <laughs> right? Just being. Uh petty if you will and saying like okay if you two are going to start dating well your ex-wife's available i'm going to start dating her you think they all sat down at dinner and said all right this is how this is going to work you know and just kind of kind of worked it out and they wouldn't say anything to the public because they haven't talked to the media you know we don't hear yeah. anything from dell or sonia so i have no idea imagine that dinner now if they sit because oh. i imagine they're not on good terms Whoa. They, the four of them get around for uh, a dinner somebody sneak a camera in that yeah, room please yeah and I do feel for Steph because, uh, I mean, you know, the family drama is playing out uh, in front of everybody. And he's just trying to win an NBA Finals. He's just going about his business. Yeah, at the games. Like, yeah. And, by the way, also, the grandkids are there. Like, yeah, let's true. let's remember that. Um, you know, Steph's wife is in the crowd yeah. and the grandkids are there. So maybe, like, go be with the grandkids. I don't know. Put your allegiance yeah. aside and go be with the grandkids. Yeah, if I'm Steph Curry, I'm probably saying, like, look, you know the TVs are going to be showing. Okay, for the NBA Finals, can you leave your significant other? Because right. these are new relationships. It's not like they've been married for a long time. The, 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 Steph's parents just got divorced within like the last year. They probably met Steph once or twice. Yeah, like, right. You know, like they they haven't connected at all. And now you're bringing them to the game. Yeah, it's, it's like, weird. Yeah, can you leave them out of the game? I'm trying to win an NBA Finals. I don't want to hear about all this nonsense. People are talking to me about my parents' new boyfriend and girlfriend when they're you know 60 years old. Go hang out with Riley Curry, isn't she like uh, you know she's the best, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, come on, go hang yeah. out with the grandkids. Yeah, hang with the family instead. Anyways, I just found that fascinating. Yes. And how quickly people discovered this online. By investigating and seeing that the two new significant others were also formerly married.
10 minutes. It was, oh, yeah. it was 10 minutes. You, that's why the internet is always undefeated. It's it will a, always be undefeated. It's ridiculous. Twitter is unbelievable when it comes to that. Cause you see something on TV, you don't really think of it. And then a commercial break, you go to Twitter and boom, they're trending. It's like, Oh, well, what happened? Oh, yeah. like, I don't know. I'm a big uh, Reddit guy. Like if there's something, even like a big story going on, I'll go to Reddit and the information I get from Reddit about like an investigation mm. is so good that uh, I don't know what the actual investigation is like with the detective, but these people on Reddit are amazing. The information they find on certain people, whenever I want to know anything about somebody that's getting like their 15 minutes of fame or anything, I go to Reddit, they got everything on there. Deshaun Watson Reddit threads uh, about oh, his case, they are incredible. Uh, and not in a good way, but right, like right, the right. information, that yeah. these, it's, it's unbelievable. Oh, it's crazy what people find on the internet. And in this case, they found like a family photo of these people back when they were married and everything. It's remarkable. So anyways, that was the big story. Now, I love these guys. I've referenced them before, the uh, Are You Garbage? It's a podcast, and it's a great podcast. And they, uh, a- they, they ask questions usually to their guests to determine if their guest is garbage or not, in a fun sense. Not actual gar- They're not talking about actual like, crimes they've committed, but just little things you do in your life. Are you uh, classy or are you a little trashy? That's the whole idea. It's a great podcast. They go out and they do live shows, and they take questions from the crowd to determine if those in the crowd are garbage or classy individuals. When I saw this whole Curry thing, it reminded me of a story from a couple of weeks ago from the Are You Got Garbage podcast uh, where somebody in the crowd had a family that went through something similar. Is it garbage if your mom left your dad to marry your pastor? There's a whole lot more. And then your dad married the pastor's ex-wife. There's more. And then the pastor's ex-wife groomed your brother and now stepsister to eventually marry each other. It's like a hillbilly Yellowstone right there. So everybody's now a hunky-dory family? I wonder why. What the (laughs) f***? That's the Curry family now. They're all getting together with the, uh, the Johnson family. Crazy stuff. Hey, speaking of basketball, when we come back, we'll give our breakdowns to the new Adam Sandler film. Hustle, which is available. It's out on Netflix now. If you haven't seen it yet, we'll give our two cents when we come back. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Game five of the NBA Finals tonight. We'll break it down, of course, tomorrow. I know the Celtics are really good coming off losses. It's hard to go against them in the spot, but just there's something about this game. I feel like the Warriors take the lead with a win tonight. We'll see what happens. We'll break it down tomorrow. But elsewhere in the basketball world, we got a, our latest sports movie. Now, when they release a movie about sports, we got to watch it and talk about it on the Morrow Midday Show, and we're going to do so. It's called Hustle. Uh, starring Adam Sandler. I'm sure you've seen the commercials. It was uh, released in theaters uh, about uh, 10 days ago and was put out on Netflix about a week ago. So I know it's pretty fresh, right? It's new. Maybe you haven't had a chance to see it yet. We'll certainly try to avoid anything that may spoil any significant part of the movie. But whenever you have a sports movie, right, it's not like some sort of thriller or twist ending. There's really aren't spoilers. It's pretty straightforward. It is what it is. But nonetheless... We will uh, respect the uh, the process, and we will give our take on the movie Hustle. Um, 
I'll give you the uh, a brief synopsis if you're unfamiliar. Then uh, we'll get Trent's uh, breakdown, and then I'll give you my thoughts on the film as well. And we have our uh, music-themed. This this music may want to put you to sleep, but it's the music they use at Cinemark, which we, there's a Cinemark theater in Somerville. This was the old music they used to play in the theater before and after the, the screenings. So we have our, oh, yeah. Got our movie music, like you're Seven going to the theater. Yep. You're settling in. We're going to watch Hustle, right? You're getting excited. You're seeing the dancing popcorn. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, the movie Hustle was, it's, as mentioned, it's out on Netflix. It follows Adam Sandler as an NBA scout. Former college basketball player, wants to be a coach in the NBA. Right now he's a scout, and he discovers what they call this unicorn. Uh, he's like a seven-foot player named Bo Cruz in Spain who uh, hasn't played organized basketball in years. And so there's a lot of skeptics around Bo Cruz, and Adam Sandler hopes that he is his big ticket. If Adam Sandler can develop this kid, Bo Cruz, to be an NBA star, right, it can turn him into uh, the assistant coach in the NBA he's always wanted to be. That's the general idea. He discovers a raw but talented player in Spain and uh, gets him ready for the NBA draft, hoping that this could be the big ticket of his career. Sandler's uh, late 50s in the movie, a little down on his luck a little bit, had an injury end his playing career, so he's one of those types of guys. He's looking for his big break after grinding for years in the league, and he thinks this guy's the big break, but many people are skeptical. That's the general idea. Trent, I go to you first. We both watched Hustle over the weekend. Give me your takeaways. What stood out? Did you like it? What uh, did you not like? Break it down for me, the movie Hustle. Luke, I, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a good sports movie. Because honestly, in the sports movies that I've watched in the past, you know, obviously my favorite sports movie of all time is Remember the Titans. I used to watch mm. it all the time as a kid. A good one. Even, like, obviously Denzel absolutely crushes it. The acting is good in Remember the Titans. But that's what I look at for a good sports movie. Is the acting up to par that it can be an actual, you know, maybe win some awards at some point, you know, if the acting's good. Obviously, the Sandman crushed it. I think he crushes majority of roles that he's in. Thought Ben Foster did a great job with the character Vin, uh, the owner of the uh, 76ers. After his, uh, I won't actually don't need to spoil anything, so I will uh, leave it yeah, at that. It does happen early. It, in the it film. happens early in the film, so I can say it. 76ers owner dies. His son comes into uh, the role as Vince Merrick. They call him Vin. Thought he did a great job. Kenny Smith did a great job in his role. The acting again. It's a little up and down. I thought the players that were involved with the movie, Anthony Edwards, Bo Bon, and obviously uh, Hernan Gomez, uh, the uh, main character as Bo Cruz, thought he did a phenomenal job. It was a good sports movie, Luke. I won't say it's great. I'm not going to put it up there with Remember the Titans or any of the other classic ones that I really enjoy, but I thought it was a good movie, and that's what's most important because a lot of people, when they hear Adam Sandler, what do they think of? Oh, it's him and his buddies. They're just out on vacation making a movie, and they kind of use it as an excuse. They'll put out grown-ups and all that kind of stuff, and it's fine. Hubie Halloween, whatever you want. It's all, like, kitschy. This wasn't really kitschy. It, it wasn't. It was a true story. It kind of took you into the mind of some of the, um, let's say, you know, because the NBA is glitz and glamour, and everybody thinks the coaches have a lot of money. These scouts grind. They go out for months on end internationally, in America, wherever it is, and it was just a cool way to uh, – kind of uh, look at basketball in a different light with some of these players that we don't know about that are absolute stars and they come into the NBA and they shine so I thought it was a good sports movie I'm not I can't break it down the way you break down films I go good or bad it was a good sports movie 
Ranking uh, one out of ten, what Ooh. would you give it? One out of ten? I'm not going to give it an eight. I, I think an eight's a good. So I would say we'll go decimal points here. I'd say a seven and a half. Oh, I'd okay. Say seven and a half. That's yeah. good because I was thinking maybe a seven. So wow. Maybe okay. you're a little higher than me, okay. and that means I still like it. If I give it a seven, it's still good. Would you watch it again? No, I, I no. wouldn't. No, I wouldn't watch okay. it again. Yeah. See, that's important. It is very important because there are some. Like I said, remember the Titans, yes. uh, Invincible. That I always watch that all the yeah. time. Um, What's the other one with uh, with Mark Wahlberg? Was that Invincible? No, that's Matt Damon's rugby movie. I'm thinking about a couple different ones here, but I always want to watch those again. I wouldn't watch Hustle again. If really? it was on, I'd probably turn it on, but I probably wouldn't watch it again. Okay, no. interesting. Uh, who did? You, who was your favorite? Like cameo of the of the basketball guys we know, who'd you mm. like the most? I thought Ken, I mean Kenny Smith did a great job. I, I think so, yeah. he was he was probably the best out of all those guys. Anthony Edwards surprised me. Yeah. I thought he did pretty well. As and I love Adam Sandler doing this. This is how you know Adam Sandler can just do whatever he wants. Just gets a bunch of NBA players, a legend like Kenny Smith, puts them together, makes a movie. Just made a movie with a bunch of celebrities. The uncut gems. The yeah. weekend was in it. Kevin Garnett was in it. God does whatever he wants. Just oh, yeah. put a good cast together to make a decent movie. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, most of Sandler's movies now, these comedies, he just goes with a bunch of his friends and they film it at an island so they could have a summer vacation with their families. And it's just, uh, he's like mailing it in. This one's different. This is a more serious film. He's playing a more serious role. I thought Sandler was great. Now, I've always said Adam Sandler to me is one of the most talented people Hollywood has produced in the last, I don't know, 40 years. He can do comedy, he can do serious films. If you haven't seen him do a serious role, you're missing out Uncut Gems, of course. I would say this movie was more serious, even though his character is pretty funny. Um, and then also, I always love Rain Over Me, which was a Sandler movie about a grieving father uh, that came out about 15 years ago. He is so good in that movie. It tugs at your heartstrings. There's no very little humor to it. It's a serious role. Sandler's great. So I think he's a talented actor. I think he's a funny comedian. And he's a pretty good musician, and he does a lot of music for his new movies. So I've always been a huge Sandler fan. I think he's one of the more more talented guys. You think of the silly, you know, Billy Madison movies and Happy Gilmore, but when Sandler wants to do something serious, he's he's got good acting chops. So I thought Sandler was great. I also thought, for some reason, I, I thought Queen Latifah's his wife was great. Crushed it. Oh, Absolutely she was awesome. crushed it. I mean, well, what do we expect from Queen Latifah? Yeah. Nothing but success, obviously. Nothing but absolute bangers when she gets on the screen murdered it as uh, his wife. It was awesome. Yeah, because now obviously she's been acting for a long time, but she's yeah. another one that, you know, she was a musician. She's a good actress, and I thought she was really good in this role. I thought she was great. Uh, all right, my takeaways. I thought it was good. As I said, I'd probably give it a seven. A little cheesy. Sports yep. movies usually are. We had a few cheesy scenes. I mean, the genesis of the movie when he first discovers um, Bo and that cheesy... When you watch the movie, if you haven't seen it yet, you'll know what I'm talking about. But the cheesy, like, the guy's upset they lost. Right. The cheesy one-on-one, -on -one, he throws the basketball at him. And then you know what's going to happen. Bo really shines in this one-on-one -on -one game against the star of the pickup court. Big crowd around him, yeah. the whole thing, yeah. I thought, that's a little, I thought that was a little cheesy. That's how the whole thing gets going. That's when Sandler first, like, whoa, look at this guy. It's the classic, you stumble across a park. Some guy nobody was expecting much from is the best player there. And it intrigues, in this case, Sandler the scout. Along those lines, uh, we have a P1 listener, Ricardo, that calls the show, who um, you know, says he's the uncle of Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris was in the movie. Right. I thought it was a little cheesy that as Bo's playing pickup games in Philadelphia, what's Tobias Harris doing at the park Yeah, playing a pickup game? Yeah, come on now. That happens later on in the movie. I thought uh, Dirk Nowitzki makes an appearance. I thought the Dirk FaceTime call 
little cheesy. Very cheesy. Very, that was early on. Very yeah. cheesy. Very cheesy. I thought Dirk was pretty funny, but just the whole idea of let me FaceTime this guy, yada, yada, yada. Had him as a schnitzel in his, uh, in his phone. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah, and Dirk was pretty good in that little cameo. I agree with you. I thought Kenny Smith was good, a good actor, uh, all things considered. I thought Anthony Edwards, who's getting a lot of praise, did a good job playing. He's kind of the villain in the movie. I thought he did pretty good. And I love Anthony Edwards as a player, but watching this movie, like, I wanted to hate him now. Yeah. I yeah. thought he did such a good job. And I thought, oh, man, I don't want to see Anthony Edwards in this light. He seems like a fun guy. He's fun to watch. I don't want to see him be such a bad guy. Makes a good character. Like, we're talking oh, yeah. about it now. Yeah. It's like, I want to hate Anthony Edwards, but he's such a lovable guy on the court. It's very yeah. difficult. Yeah, but in this movie, he was great because he was such a jerk in the film. And he did it very well that as I was watching it, I was thinking, I hate this guy. Mm. Uh, a couple of things, though. The negatives that stand out. From a basketball perspective, I thought the basketball was really good. Uh, they did a lot of drills. What I appreciate about this movie, a lot of times you get a sports film, it doesn't focus a ton on the sports. Mm, yeah. And it's a lot of the off-the-court, off-the-field, they dramatize the movie. Uh, like, remember the Titans, obviously a big part of that storyline are the, the race issues. Yeah. And that's kind of the idea of the movie. It's almost more of like that than a football movie. Yeah, not a lot of football scenes yeah. outside of the games. Right. So what I love about this was like this was all basketball. Right. The amount of times they showed him just doing drills was yeah. almost like a little too much with the amount of time he was working in the gym. But it was great. So I love that. There was no secondary story of like a girlfriend or even the guy from Spain missing home. There's a little bit of the of the drama off the court, but not really. This was simply they focused on basketball. And I like that from my sports movies. I don't want to watch a sports movie, and it's most of it's like a sappy, tugging at your heartstrings. Like uh, the Blind Side's another one, Oof. Yeah. where it's more about like the adoption than it is football. I want a good sports movie that's just about sports. Even Major League is about like off the field drama. For the love of the game of Billy Chapel, half the movie's about his girlfriend. No, I want just about sports, and that's what we got with this movie. So I like that. Most of the basketball, the conversations, like the X's and O's. The way the Sixers organization worked was all really good. My two complaints. Number one, Bo is like seven feet tall. He's like yeah. a Kristaps Porzingis. What is he doing guarding Anthony Edwards the whole movie? Yeah, that, that is an uh, interesting dynamic. No doubt about it. He probably should be guarding Boban, who was in the yes, movie earlier. Right. Yeah, like, come on now. Why isn't he matched up with them? And Boban's great. Six foot six. <laughs> like, yeah, he's out on the perimeter. These guys keep battling. It's a rivalry. They're battling as they get ready for the combine. They're battling in, like, uh, scrimmages and stuff. And he, a lot of times, Anthony Edwards is burning him. But what do you expect? He's shorter and quicker. He's going around him. Which, on the flip side, when Bo's on offense, and Anthony Edwards, again, is guarding him for whatever reason. I don't get it. He's so much taller. Why is he doing so many high ball screens <laughs> to try to take Anthony Edwards off the dribble to the rim? You have like a seven-inch advantage. Post up down low on this guy. What are you doing? I knew these would be your takeaways from the movie because you're such like an inside basketball guy that you'd be like, well, I mean, this is this is not even a realistic thing right no. here. What are we even talking about? When you have that big of a mismatch, why is he out on the perimeter asking? Every time he gets the ball, he's asking for a screen, and he's trying to take <laughs> Edwards off the dribble. Go down low and post up on the guy. He's half your size. Ridiculous. Yeah, they kind of depicted Anthony Edwards to be like seven feet like yeah, on the same think. level as them. It was weird. I know. And that's the other part. That becomes a big rivalry in the movie. Again, I'm not really spoiling anything. There's not a spoiler here. Him and Anthony Edwards are the rivals. Anthony Edwards is supposed to be a top pick. Why was it so important that Bo Cruz, the main character, plays better than Anthony Edwards? Yeah. 
Like, that was the determining factor. It's like, oh, this guy, he can't be in the NBA. He's not better than the number two pick we thought in the draft. <laughs> like, he could still get drafted and be a good pl- NBA player. I didn't like this whole idea, like, if, it's all or nothing. If you're not better than Anthony Edwards, you're not an NBA guy. Nonsense. Uh, if you're not the best player in the draft, there's still 60 other spots for you in the draft, and you could still be a star. So that whole thing was a little manufactured. Uh, I thought the ending of the movie, I'm not going to ruin it for you, but I thought the ending was a little rushed. Mm-hmm. That was a little bit of a clumsy finish. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing I say, I'll say from a basketball perspective is that they focused a lot on him being a unicorn, but I think his big thing was like his athleticism and his defense. So, again, I go back to I don't get the focus on – like uh, being a unicorn or even – we got a good amount of shooting. But yeah. the big thing was like his defense and these ridiculous rejections and just how athletic and long he was. So I thought like they were kind of uh, straddling the fence, like which way are we going to go with this guy? Is he going to be this unicorn, like this offensive talent, or is it more about the athleticism and the defense? And uh, I don't know. I thought that was almost like playing both sides throughout the movie. And I think that's – I jotted down some things, so I'm reading off my notes. I think that was everything I had. It was a good movie. It was. Here's the other thing I'll say, and this goes for all sports movies. I always say this about sports movies. If the sports, if the athletes don't look good enough, right, if the sports scenes don't look good enough, it takes you out of the film. Yep. So what Sandler did, or the producers, whatever, they chose in this movie, we're going to get these former, they sacrificed the acting for the acting of the actual basketball. The realistic part of it. Yeah. Yeah, they focus, yeah I mean, no disrespect to Kurt Warner, but watch Kurt Warner's movie uh, and you'll... You get turned away very quickly. Yeah. It just looks so unrealistic. You you can't believe, you can't uh, suspend your, your belief that, like, oh, this is an NFL quarterback. No, he can't throw football, the actor. <laughs> so in this case, like, some of the acting, some of the delivery of the lines, a little rough, but what do you expect? It's a bunch of basketball guys. Dr. J, who's not a yeah. good actor. Right? Dr. J's in it. Uh, but it makes it more realistic to have these basketball guys. Two last real quick things. Number one, it, it was a pet peeve that he had his chain on and out of the uh, the undershirt he wore the whole movie. Yeah. I don't know why. I found it distracting. Every time he gets the basketball, he's got his chain out. I don't get the <laughs> the point of it. I wear a gold chain every day. When I play basketball, I take the chain off. Ooh. Because I don't okay. want anybody yanking on it. And I never have it outside my shirt. He's playing all the time with his chain hanging outside of his shirt. I didn't get the point of that. I don't know. And the other thing, too, is the end credits were so odd. The end credits showed all these guys, these basketball players, that like I didn't even realize were in the movie. It, it was very strange. Like, I don't when I miss Luka Doncic. Yeah. I, I didn't realize Luka wait, was in the film. I'm sorry? What? Luka yeah, was exactly. In, <laughs> Luka was in it? But when you get to the end credits, they they spend like 15 seconds on all these guys, and they show clips from their NBA career. Oh, maybe it's like a, um, I don't know. Maybe it's like uh, people maybe got advice or something. Maybe, maybe Adam Sandler talked to them, because LeBron's also an executive producer on yeah. it, so he might have talked to other NBA players about how the best way to depict, you, you know, the uh, grind is. I'm not sure. Yeah, because they spent so much time. The credits was essentially just uh, like a show and tell. Like, look at all these guys we got to be in the movie. Right. Half of them I didn't realize, like, oh, that guy was in the movie? And they show you, like, 30-second clips of them. The credits were really long, the end credits, to show all these guys they had. I didn't even know half of them were in the movie. They did one for uh, Dave Yeager, the assistant coach of the Sixers. I didn't even know he was in the movie just because he works for the Sixers. Adam Sandler does. Anyways, that was a little another, uh, if I'm nitpicking, at the end of the movie, the credits, I thought it was a little bit of a show and tell. Anyways, overall, I would rec- recommend it if you like sports films, if you like Sandler, if you like basketball, good film. I give it a seven. Trent gave it a seven and a half. I pr- probably would watch it again, and I was pleasantly surprised. It was probably better than I thought it would be. I enjoyed it. Our full breakdown on Hustle. Coming up, uh, the Stanley Cup could be interesting this year in the NHL if you haven't been paying attention. More Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
Spend lunch with Luke. Yo, what up? What's the word, big fella? Everything's good on this end. Hey, Luke, how's it going? Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, Luke. Hey, man. Pleasure to be on your show. I'm doing great, but I'm hoping you could call me Boca Baby. Great show. You're doing a good job. Hey, you're turning into rapidly my favorite person I've interviewed with, and I've done like 50 of these in the last week. You've done your homework. I like it. I absolutely like it. I love that. Another great thought. You've done your homework, haven't you? Good job. You've always get these big stars and important people on. That's, that's great to hear. We like to hear the interviews. You know, it's uncanny how you do this, Luke. And I don't know how you do because I, you know, I do this gauntlet of radio on Thursdays, where I do all these different cities. Many of them need their hosts to have me give them some talking points. You hit all my talking points every week. <laughs> it's it's uncanny how good you are. Always great talking football with you, Luke. Appreciate you guys being right. Very impressive. Just want to say, I find you the low country Colin Coward. You use common sense with statistics and you combine them and you think outside the box. Shout out to all the people in Dolphin that support the show. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Da 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 da. <laughs> da 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 da. Go ahead, boy. That's why you bring it on. Is this a sports show or a dancing show? I, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what we're doing around here. Bust the loop for three hours, anything goes. On the Morrow Midday Show. Inside my car, I got pictures, got candy. I'm a lovable man, and I can take you to the nearest star. I'm your vehicle, baby. I'll take you anywhere you wanna go. I'm your vehicle woman. By now, I'm sure you know that I love you. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. If you ever missed anything from the show, catch on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston. However, you listen to your podcast. And don't forget, you can take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com, through TuneIn Radio, your smart speaker, or our free app. Search ESPN Charleston in the App Store. Download the app today, and you can listen to the show live or on demand from anywhere in the world. Appreciate listeners checking in from at least nine different states and multiple countries on this Monday. Game five of the NBA Finals tonight. We have broken down that series throughout the afternoon. The Stanley Cup Finals are getting set to go. And it'll be Tampa Bay against Colorado. So Tampa Bay came back to beat the Rangers. The Rangers were up 2-0 in the series. They were leading game three. Tampa Bay then swept the rest of the way. Colorado swept Edmonton. My Oilers, unfortunately, having their season come to an end. So as we get ready for the Stanley Cup Finals, right? if you haven't been paying attention to hockey, it's, it's interesting because uh, twofold. Number one, Edmonton lost in the conference finals, so the streak continues. No Canadian team has won the Stanley Cup since 1993. And I believe all the Canadian teams have made it to the Stanley Cup since then and still have not been able to win. So that drought continues. It'll go on to, uh, what's that, 30 years, uh, which is remarkable to me. But then the other side of this is now you have Tampa Bay. So Colorado's been a really offensive team. And they go up against Tampa Bay, and uh, the Lightning, their goalie, had a pretty good series against the Rangers. That was a matchup of, of two pretty good goalies. But Tampa Bay is trying to three-peat, and no team has done that in the NHL since the Islanders 40 years ago when the Islanders won four straight. There were only four Stanley Cups. They won them consecutively. They used them all up at once, and now they got nothing left. But the Lightning could become the first team to three-peat in 40 years in the NHL and the first team in all of sports in 20 years. 
We just had the anniversary. It was either yesterday or Saturday of the Lakers finishing their three-peat. And uh, so it's been 20 years since anybody's done it in any sport. Right? The Yankees um, the Yankees came close. The Yankees did do it, right? 98, 99, 2000. So baseball, the last time was 2000. The Lakers was 20 years ago. Uh, the NFL, you have to go back to about 30 years ago uh, in the 90s um, or even before that. But the point being, we haven't seen something like this in sports in a long time where a team wins three consecutive championships, and that's what Tampa Bay will be trying to do. They have overcome a deficit in two of their series, and then they uh, also swept Florida, who was the number one seed in the NHL, so it's been quite the run for Tampa. And what I find interesting about all this is the pandemic. I wonder if that actually helped something like this happen because for the NHL, right, they had a bubble season where they were playing in one location, no travel. You know how I feel about bubble championships. And then even after that, still, like it wasn't a normal season a year ago, and the season was a little bit shortened, and you get that time off. So it, wasn't, it hasn't been as grueling, not as much travel, the bubble year. Not as grueling as most teams when they're trying to win three in a row. I'm curious if that has aided Tampa Bay. That's not to say this has only happened because of the pandemic's impact on sports. It hasn't happened in 40 years for a reason. But Tampa Bay in the Stanley Cup Finals trying to three-peat for the first time for any sports champion we've had in the professional ranks in 20 years. Tampa Bay and Colorado should be an interesting Stanley Cup Finals. Hey, the NBA Finals continue at Game 5 tonight. Uh, as I said earlier, I, I'm going to roll with the Warriors tonight. And I think for the first time, and maybe I changed my opinion before tip-off, but the official pick for the show is that I think the Warriors win and cover the four tonight at home and take a 3-2 lead. I think for the first time in weeks, first time in this postseason, first time in a long time, the Celtics actually do lose back-to-back games. But I think it should be a lot of fun. Hopefully it's as good as game four. I'm curious to see uh, you know, how big of a role Draymond Green plays tonight. Can Jason Tatum bounce back? I think he will after game four. Can those role players help out? Can the role players like Al Horford step up? And what about the Warriors? Can Wiggins have another big game like we saw from him Friday? Can Klay Thompson knock down some big shots once again? We'll see. Game five tonight. We'll break it all down tomorrow. Game five, of course, it's always the huge uh, swing game. So there's none bigger than tonight for the NBA Finals. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. In the meantime, life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. For now, we say goodbye. We'll say hello again tomorrow at noon. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.